0: back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase, and I'm Josh, and we are here to give you part five of Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince today. Very excited because we roll into some really heavy moments. The big climax happens this week, which you're going to hear today, rolling into next week, where we'll finish the book, and then the following week after that, we're going to tackle those differences episodes between the novel and the film for Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. So, guys, we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming to you between the next three weeks, today, next week, and the following after that, so, uh, I always like to, to jump in and talk about what we have on our screen if there's anything new. Chase did add a little bit of, a little spice, if you will. He added a little bit of spice to his, uh, visuals, so if you're only listening on audio and you're not checking out the YouTube channel, Chase has put a little, uh, it almost looks like a mini poster, so I'll let him talk about that, tell you where he got it from, and, uh, well, we'll dive in from there, man. So, Chase, go ahead and take it away and tell us about what you got going on over there, man.
1: Yeah, man. I guess uh, a little bit of foreshadowing moment <laughs> over here on the left. For everyone that's listening on the on the podcast, I know you can't see the visuals, but basically what I have. So, I got this months ago, actually. I just never really showed it off. If you look really close on some of our older episodes for Half-Blood Prince, you can kind of pick up on an Easter egg where it's barely in the back. But uh, it was really meant to be brought out front today. But what you see is just uh, the big astronomy tower with a big green light. And that's all I'll say about that, man. And uh, we finally got into the climax of this book. And I don't know about you, Nelly, but it feels like we just flew through this thing for Half-Blood Prince.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, man. Uh, For what I thought it was, because it felt like it took us to get so long through Order, because Order just was a bunch of pages, so it was like, Order kind of felt like that big climb in terms of the amount of pages we had to cover, but there was still so much detail in Half-Blood Prince, but it did seem as if we flew through it a little bit quicker, but when we kind of really break it down, there was, what, eight episodes in Order and only one less is going to be seven in total for Half-Blood Prince between this week, next week, and the differences, so it's not like... It was a big drop-off. It just it did seem to go a little bit faster. Maybe because it was more along the tunes of what I like in a book in terms of more storyline, more detail, versus, you know, kind of fluff until big moments. Which I don't think Order was totally that, but I just feel like... Half-Blood Prince captured my attention more, and I wanted to keep reading it a little bit more. So, yeah, I do agree that I feel like this one went by a little bit uh, quicker. I'm really excited to kind of see what what kind of challenge Deathly Hallows presents in a few weeks. That's going to be the real test, right? So, I don't know. What yeah. did you think about it?
1: Yeah, no, it, uh, it's funny because I remember reading it more when I was a kid, and... It wasn't as meaningful as it was now that i went back this time around especially seeing from different character povs and and that sort of thing point of views if you all don't know what that means i'm sure everyone does (laughs) anyways (laughs) but it's it just has like a whole different meaning when you read it when you're an adult like it's almost like i understand it differently now versus i felt like honestly like when i was a kid I was a lot like kind of the way Harry is in the book. Like he doesn't think things a lot straight through. He just goes for it, like goes with his gut uh, sometimes. that was kind of like me. And now going back with this whole full circle moment, it gives you a whole different range of perspectives. And uh, man, now that we're approaching the climax here and then it's wild to think, you know, we got two weeks left after this. And then we're finally on the one everyone's talked about for an entire year that we've been on this arc, and uh, it's like we always say, like just enjoy the ride. Like that's the best part is the ride, and um, it you know we got a whole quarter left, so audience brace yourself, it's not over yet. But man, this one today will leave a mark on you, in my opinion.
0: Agreed, man. And what what's really cool is. We decided to break this up a little bit differently than we normally do. We're only doing three chapters today. It's going to be Chapter 25, The Seer Overheard, Chapter 26, The Cave, and Chapter 27, The Lightning Struck Tower. And then we'll be saving the remainder three chapters for next week, which, if I'm not mistaken, is The Flight of the Prince, uh, The Phoenix Lament, and The White Tomb. And those will be the final three chapters that we cover. So we're splitting it up. A lot of times we do six chapters at a time. We wanted to make sure that we gave enough time for us to process these big things that happen so when we go off once we finish the chapters and Chase and I usually kind of you know debrief after it, like we normally do we want to make sure we gave it ample enough time so that way we didn't feel like we had to rush through it so this is going to be a, a really good experience for you guys between this week and next week I'm really excited to get through it so what do you think we do do you want to just jump in and start right off on 25 and go from there
1: let's do it man I'll let Jay Nelly kick us off but this is going to be an awesome one. And uh, the, once again, guys, the reason we want to do it this way, too, is, you know, we don't want you guys getting hit with another five-hour podcast, <laughs> so y'all are <laughs> troopers for making this far, but uh, this one is going to be, it's going to be one for the books, uh, one for the Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy History books. <laughs> That's Heck yeah, sure. man. Let's get a Jaynelli little take going. Take it away, man. Let's get a Malice in the Chalice, brother. Malice and the Chalice. Good job,
0: man. Let's do it. <sighs> Alright, so guys, what I always do right before I jump directly into the chapter is I give a quick little recap of big stuff that we covered last week, so if you guys remembered we finally got that awesome memory from Professor Slughorn, we figure out what horcruxes are, what the big deal is behind it, how many were made, and why it was important to the storyline. We saw Harry and Malfoy kind of have a confrontation in the bathroom where Harry used this new uh, curse that he learned inside his textbook, the, uh, the Half Blood Prince's textbook for potions, advanced potion making. And then also, the other big thing that happened is while he was in detention, the Gryffindor team won the Quidditch House Cup. And when he came back into the, the, the common room, he was met by Ginny, and they just kissed and finally got it out of the way. Harry and Ginny are now an item. So, here we go, man. That was kind of a quick little crash course of where we left you off last week. This week we're going to start you here at chapter 25, The Seer Overheard. And with that being said, I'll just go ahead and kick us right off. So starting here with uh, on page 535, starting with, The fact that Harry Potter was going out with Ginny Weasley seemed to interest a great number of people, most of them girls, yet Harry found himself newly and happily impervious to gossip over the next few weeks. After all, it made a very nice change to be talked about because of something that was making him happier than he could remember for being for a very long time, rather than because he had been involved in horrific scenes of dark magic. You'd think people would have better things to gossip about, said Jenny as she sat on the common room floor leaning against Harry's legs and reading the Daily Prophet. Three Dementor attacks in a week, and all Remilda Vane does is ask me if it's true that you've got a hippogriff tattooed across your chest. Ron and Hermione both roared with laughter, and Harry ignored them. What did you tell her? I told her it's a Hungarian horntail, said Jenny, turning the page of the newspaper idly. Much more macho. "'Thanks,' said Harry, grinning. "'And what did you tell her Ron's got?' "'A pygmy puff.' "'But I didn't say where.' "'Ron scowled as Hermione rolled around laughing. "'Watch it,' he said, pointing warningly at Harry and Jenny. "'Just because I've given my permission doesn't mean I can't withdraw it.' "'Your permission?' scoffed Jenny. "'Since when did you give me the permission to do anything? "'Anyway, you said yourself you'd rather it was Harry than Michael or Dean.' "'Yeah, I would,' said Ron grudgingly. "'And just as long as you don't start snogging each other in public,' You filthy hypocrite! What about you and Lavender thrashing around like a pair of eels all over the place? demanded Jenny. But Ron's tolerance was not to be tested as much as they moved into June, for Harry and Jenny's time together was becoming increasingly restricted. Ginny's owls were approaching, and she was therefore forced to study for hours into the night. And on what su- one such evening, when Jenny had retired to the library and Harry was sitting beside the window in the common room, supposedly finishing his herbology homework, But in reality, reliving a particularly happy hour he had spent down by the lake with Ginny at lunchtime, Hermione dropped into the seat between him and Ron with an unpleasant, purposeful look on her face. "'I want to talk to you, Harry.' "'What about?' said Harry suspiciously. Only the previous day, Hermione had told him off for distracting Ginny when she ought to be working hard for examinations. "'The so-called Half-Blood Prince.' "'Oh, not again,' he groaned. "'Will you please drop it?' "'He had not dared to return to the room of requirement to retrieve his book,' and his performance in potions was suffering accordingly, though Slughorn, who approved of Ginny, had jocularly attributed this to Harry being lovesick. But Harry was sure that Snape had not given up hope of laying hands on the prince's book and was determined to leave it where it was while Snape remained on the lookout. "'I'm not dropping it,' said Hermione firmly, "'until you've heard me out. Now, I've been trying to find out a bit about who might make a hobby of inventing dark spells.' "'He didn't make a hobby of it. he. He, who says it's a he?' ''We've been through this,'' said Harry Crossley. ''Prince, Hermione, Prince!'' ''Right,'' said Hermione, red patches blazing in her cheeks as she pulled a very old peach and newsprint out of her pocket and slammed it down on the table in front of Harry. ''Look at that! Look at that picture!'' Harry picked up the crumbling piece of paper and stared into the moving photograph, yellowed with age. Ron leaned over for a look too. The picture showed a skinny girl of around 15. She was not pretty. She looked simultaneously cross and sullen with heavy brows and a long, pallid face. Underneath the photograph was a caption, Eileen Prince, captain of the Hogwarts Gobstones team. So? said Harry, scanning the short news item to which the picture belonged. It was a rather dull story about inter-school competitions. Her name was Eileen Prince, Harry. Prince! They looked at each other. And Harry realized what Hermione was trying to say. He burst out laughing. No way. What? You think she was a half-blood? Come on. Well, why not? Harry, there aren't any real princes in the wizarding world. It's either a nickname, a made-up title someone's given themselves, or it could be their actual name, couldn't it? No, listen. If, say, her father was a wizard, her surname was Prince, and her mother was a muggle, then that would make her a half-blood prince. Yeah, very ingenious, Hermione. But it would. Maybe she was proud of being half a prince. "'Listen, Hermione, I can tell it's not a girl. I can just tell.' "'The truth is, you don't think a girl would be clever enough,' said Hermione angrily. "'How can I have hung out with you for five years and not think girls are clever?' said Harry, stung by this. "'It's the way he writes. I just know the Prince was a bloke. I can tell. "'The girl hasn't got anything to do with it. Where did you get this, anyways?' "'The library,' said Hermione predictably. "'There's a whole collection of old prophets up there. Well, I'm going to find out some more about Eileen Prince if I can.' "'Enjoy yourself,' said Harry irritably. "'I will. "'And the first place I'll look,' she shot a look at him as she reached the portrait hole, "'is records of old potions awards.' "'Harry scowled after her for a moment, "'then continued his contemplation of the darkening sky. "'She just never got over you outperforming her in potions,' "'said Ron, returning to his copy of A Thousand Magical Herbs and Fungi. "'You don't think I'm mad wanting that book back, do you?' "'Of course not,' said Ron robustly. "'He was a genius, the prince. "'Anyways, without his Bezor tip,' He drew his finger significantly across his own throat. I wouldn't be here to discuss it, would I? I mean, I'm not saying the spell he used on Malfoy was great, nor am I, said Harry quickly. But he healed all right, didn't he? Back on his feet in no time. Yeah, said Harry, this is perfectly true, although his conscience squirmed slightly all the same. Thanks to Snape. You still got detention with Snape this Saturday? Ron continued. Yeah, and the Saturday after that, and the Saturday after that, sighed Harry and he's hinting now that if I don't get all the boxes done by the end of term, we'll carry on next year. He was finding these detentions particularly irksome because they cut into the already limited time he could have been spending with Ginny. Indeed, he had frequently wondered lately whether Snape did not know this, for he was keeping Harry later and later every time, while had pointed asides about Harry having to miss the good weather and the varied opportunities it offered. Harry was shaken from these bitter reflections by the appearance at his side of Jimmy Peaks who was holding out a scroll of parchment. Thanks, Jimmy. Hey, it's from Dumbledore, said Harry, excitedly unrolling the parchment and scanning it. He wants me to go to his office as quickly as I can. They stared at each other. "By me," whispered Ron. You don't reckon he hasn't found? Better go see, hadn't I, said Harry, jumping to his feet. He hurried out of the common room and along the seventh floor as fast as he could, passing nobody but Peeves, who swooped in the opposite direction throwing bits of chalk at Harry in a routine sort of way and cackling loudly as he dodged Harry's defensive jinx. Once Peeves had vanished there was silence in the corridors with only 15 minutes left until curfew most people had already returned to their common rooms. Then Harry heard a scream and a crash and he stopped in his tracks listening. How dare you! Ah! The noise was coming from a corridor nearby. Harry sprinted towards it, his wand at the ready hurtled around another corner and saw Professor Trelawney sprawled upon the floor her head covered in one of her many shawls, several sherry bottles lying beside her, one broken. Professor, Harry hurried forward to help Professor Trelawney to her feet. Some of her glittering beads had become entangled in her glasses. She hiccuped loudly, patted her hair, and pulled herself up on Harry's helping arm. What happened, Professor? You may well ask, she said shrilly. I was strolling along, brooding upon certain dark portents I happened to have glimpsed. But Harry was not paying much attention. He had just noticed where they were standing. They were on the right, there on the right was the tapestry of the dancing trolls, and on the left, that smoothly, impenetrable stretch of stone wall that concealed. Professor, were you trying to get into the room of requirement? Omens, I avowed what? She looked suddenly shifty. The room of requirement, repeated Harry, were you trying to get in there? I, right, well, I didn't know students knew about, not all of them do, said Harry, but what happened? You screamed, it sound as though you were hurt. "'Aye, well,' said Professor Trelawney, drawing her shawls around her defensively and staring down at him, vastly magnified eyes. "'I wish to, uh, deposit certain, uh, personal items in the room.' And she muttered something about nasty accusations. "'Right,' said Harry, glancing down at the sherry bottles. "'But you couldn't get in and hide them? He found this very odd. The room had opened for him, after all, when he wanted to hide the Half-Blood Prince's book.' "'Oh, I got in all right,' said Professor Trelawney, glaring at the wall.' but somebody was already in there somebody in who demanded harry who was in there i have no idea said professor treelani looking slightly taken aback at the urgency in harry's voice i walked into the room i heard a voice which has never happened before in all my years of hiding of using the room i mean a voice saying what i don't know what it was saying said professor treelani it was whooping whooping gleefully she said nodding Harry stared at her. Was it male or female? I would hazard a guess at male, said Professor Trelawney. And it sounded happy? Very happy, said Professor Trelawney sniffily. As though it was celebrating? Most definitely. And then... And then I called out, who was there? You couldn't have found out who it was without asking? Harry asked, her, slightly frustrated. The inner eye, said Professor Trelawney with dignity, straightening her shawls and many strands of glittering beads was fixed upon matters well outside the mundane realms of whooping voices. Right, said Harry hastily. He had heard about Professor Trelawney's inner eye all too often before. And did the voice say who was there? No, it did not, she said. Everything went pitch black, and the next thing I knew, I was being hurled headfirst out of the room. And you didn't see that coming, said Harry, unable to help himself. No, I did not. As I say, it was pitch, she stopped and glared at him suspiciously. I think you'd better tell Professor Dumbledore, said Harry. He ought to know Malfoy's celebrating, I mean that someone threw you out of the room. To his surprise, Professor Treeline drew herself up at this suggestion looking haughty. The headmaster has intimated that he'd prefer viewer visits from me, she said coldly, and I am not one to press my company upon those who do not value it. If Dumbledore chooses to ignore the warnings the cards show, her bony hand closed suddenly around Harry's wrist, again and again, no matter how I lay them out, "'and she pulled the card dramatically from underneath her shawls. "'The lightning struck Tower,' she whispered. "'Calamity. Disaster. Coming near all the time.' "'Right,' said Harry again. "'Well, I still think you should tell Dumbledore about this voice, "'and everything going dark and being thrown out of the room.' "'You think so?' "'Professor Trelawney seemed to consider the matter for a moment, "'but Harry could tell that she liked the idea of retelling her little adventure. "'I'm going to see him right now,' said Harry. "'I've got a meeting with him. We could go to together.' "'Oh, well, in that case,' said Professor Trelawney with a smile. She bent down, scooped up her sherry bottles, and dumped them unceremoniously in a large blue and white vase standing in a nearby niche. "'I miss having you in my classes, Harry,' she said soulfully as they set off together. "'You were never much of a seer, but you were a wonderful object.' Harry did not reply. He had loathed being the object of Professor Trelawney's continual predictions of doom. "'I'm afraid,' she went on, "'that the nag—I'm sorry, the centaur— "'knows nothing of cartomancy. "'I asked him, one seer to another, "'had he not, too, sensed the distant vibrations of coming catastrophe. "'But he seemed to find me almost comical. "'Yes, comical!' "'Her voice rose rather hysterically, "'and Harry caught a powerful whiff of sherry "'even though the bottles had been left behind. "'Perhaps the horse has heard people say "'that I have not inherited my great-grandmother's gift. "'Those rumors have been bandied about "'by the jealous for years. "'You know what I say to such people, Harry?' Would Dumbledore have let me read let me teach at this great school put so much trust in me all these years had I not proved myself to him? Here he mumbled something indistinct. I well remember my first interview with Dumbledore, went on Professor Trelawney in throaty tones. He was deeply impressed, of course, deeply impressed. I was staying at the Hogshead, which I do not advise, incidentally. Bedbugs, dear boy. But funds were low. Dumbledore did me the courtesy of calling upon me in my room. He questioned me. I must confess that at first I thought he seemed "'ill-disposed towards divination. "'And I remember, I was starting to feel a little odd. "'I had not eaten much that day, but then... "'And now Harry was paying attention properly for the first time, "'for he knew what had happened then. "'Professor Trelawney had made the prophecy that altered the course of his whole life, "'the prophecy about him and Voldemort. "'But then we were rudely interrupted by Severus Snape. "'What?' "'Yes, there was a commotion outside the door and it flew open.' and there was that rather uncouth barman standing with Snape, who was waffling about having come the wrong way up the stairs, although I'm afraid that I myself rather thought he had been apprehended eavesdropping on my interview with Dumbledore. You see, he himself was seeking a job at the time, and no doubt hoped to pick up tips. Well, after that, you know, Dumbledore seemed much more disposed to give me a job, and I could not help thinking, Harry, that it was because he appreciated the stark contrast between my own unassuming manners and quiet talent, "'compared to the pushing, thrusting young man "'who was prepared to listen at keyholes. "'Harry, dear?' "'She looked back over her shoulder, "'having only just realized that Harry was no longer with her. "'He had stopped walking, and they were now ten feet from each other. "'Harry,' she repeated uncertainly. "'Perhaps his face was white to make her look so concerned and frightened. "'Harry was standing stock still as waves of shock crashed over him, "'wave after wave, obliterating everything "'except the information that had been kept from him for so long.' It was Snape that had overheard the prophecy. It was Snape who had carried the news of the prophecy to Voldemort. Snape and Peter Pettigrew together had sent Voldemort hunting after Lily and James and their son. Nothing else mattered to Harry just now. Harry, said Professor Trelawney. Harry, I thought we were going to see the Headmaster together. You stay here, said Harry through numb lips. But dear, I was going to tell him how I was assaulted in the room of- You stay here! Harry repeated angrily. She looked alarmed as he ran past her around the corridor into Dumbledore's corridor where the lone gargoyle stood sentry. Harry shouted the password at the gargoyle and ran up the moving spiral staircase three steps at a time. He did not knock upon Dumbledore's door. He hammered and the calm voice answered, Enter, after Harry had already flung himself into the room. Fox the Phoenix looked around and his bright black eyes gleaming with reflected gold from the sunset beyond the windows. Dumbledore was standing at the window looking out at the grounds a long black traveling cloak in his arms and with that I'm going to let Chase go ahead and take it and he's going to finish us through the remainder of this chapter
1: yeah man well Harry I promised you could come with me for a moment or two Harry did not understand the conversation with Trelawney had driven everything else out of his head and his brain seemed to be moving very slowly come with you? Only if you wish it, of course. If I and then Harry remembered why he had been eager to come to Dumbledore's office in the first place. You found one. You found a horcrux horcrux. I believe so. Rage and resentment fought shock and excitement. For several moments Harry could not speak. It is natural to be afraid, said Dumbledore. I'm not scared said harry at once and it was perfectly true fear was one emotion he was not feeling at all which horcrux is it where is it i'm not sure which it is though i think we can rule out snake out the snake but i believe it to be hidden in a cave on the coast many miles from here a cave i have been trying to locate for a very long time the cave in which tom riddle once terrorized two children from his orphanage on their annual trip you remember ''Yes,'' said Harry. ''How is it protected?'' ''I don't know.'' ''I have suspicions that may be entirely wrong.'' Dumbledore hesitated and said, ''Harry, I promised you that you could come with me, and I stand by that promise. But it would be very wrong of me not to warn you that this will be exceedingly dangerous.'' ''I'm coming,'' said Harry, almost before Dumbledore had finished speaking.'' Boiling with anger at Snape, his desire to do something desperate and risky had increased tenfold in the last few minutes. This seemed to show on Harry's face, for Dumbledore moved away from the window and looked more closely at Harry, a slight crease between his silver eyebrows. What has happened to you? Nothing, lied Harry promptly. What has upset you? I'm not upset. Harry, you were never a good Clumans The word was the spark that ignited Harry's fury. Snape, he said very loudly, and Fox gave soft squawk behind him. Snape's what happened. He told Voldemort about the prophecy. It was him. He listened outside the door. Trelawney told me. Dumbledore's expression did not change. But Harry thought his face whitened under this bloody tinge cast by the setting sun. For a long moment, Dumbledore said nothing. When did you find out about this? He asked at last. Just now, said Harry, who was refraining from yelling with enormous difficulty. And then suddenly, he could not stop himself. And you let him teach over here? And he told Voldemort to go after my mom and dad? Breathing hard as though he was fighting, Harry turned away from Dumbledore, who still had not moved a muscle, and paced up and down the study, rubbing his knuckles in his hand and exercising every last bit of restraint to prevent himself from knocking things over. He wanted to rage and storm at Dumbledore, but he also wanted to go with him to try to destroy the Horcrux. He wanted to tell him that he was a foolish old man for trusting Snape, but he was terrified that Dumbledore would not take him along unless he mastered his anger. Harry, said Dumbledore quietly, please listen to me. It was difficult to stop his relentless pacing as to refrain from shouting. Harry paused, biting his lip, and looked into Dumbledore's lined face. Professor Snape made a terrible... Don't tell me it was a mistake, sir! He was listening at the door! Please, let me finish. Dumbledore waited until Harry had nodded curtly and went on. Professor Snape made a terrible mistake. He was still in Lord Voldemort's employ on the night he heard the first half of Professor Trelawney's prophecy. Naturally... He hastened to tell his master what he had heard, for it concerned his master most deeply. But he did not know. He had no possible way of knowing which boy Voldemort would hunt from then onward or the parents he would destroy in his murderous quest where people of Professor Snape knew that they were your mother and father. Harry let out a yell of mirthless laughter. (laughs) He hated my dad like he hated Sirius. Haven't you noticed, Professor How the people Snape hates tend to end up dead You have no idea of the remorse Professor Snape felt when he realized how Lord Voldemort had interpreted the prophecy Harry. I believe it to be greatest regret of his life and the reason that he returned. But he's very good at Clumens, isn't he, sir? said Harry, whose voice was shaking with effort of keeping it steady. And isn't Voldemort convinced that Snape's on his side even now? Professor, how can you be sure Snape's on your side? Dumbledore did not speak for a moment. He looked as though he was trying to make up his mind about something. At last, he said, I am sure I trust Severus Snape completely. Harry breathed deeply for a few moments, in an effort to steady himself. It did not work. Well, I don't, he said as loudly as before. He's up to something with Draco Malfoy right now, right under your nose, and you still... We have discussed this, Harry. Harry. Said Dumbledore, and now he sounded stern again. I have told you my views. You're leaving the school tonight, and I'll bet you haven't even considered that Snape and Malfoy might decide to- To what? Asked Dumbledore, his eyes brows raised. What is it that you suspect of them a-doing, precisely? I- They're up to something, said Harry, and his hands curled into fists, and he said it. Professor Trelawney was just in the room of requirement, trying to hide her sherry bottles. She heard Malfoy whooping, celebrating. He's trying to mend something dangerous in there, if you ask me. He's fixed it, and at last, you're about to just walk out of school without... Enough, said Dumbledore. He said it quite calmly, and yet Harry fell silent at once. He knew that he had finally crossed some invisible line. Do you think that I have once left the school unprotected during my absences this year? I have not. Tonight, when I leave, there will again be additional protection in place. Please do not suggest that I do not take the safety of my students seriously, Harry. I didn't, mumbled Harry a little bash, but Dumbledore cut across him. I do not wish to discuss the matter any further. Harry bit back his retort. "'Scared that he had gone too far, "'that he had ruined his chance of accompanying Dumbledore, "'but Dumbledore went on. "'Do you wish to come with me tonight?' "'Yes,' said Harry at once. "'Very well, then.' "'Dumbledore drew himself up to full height. "'I take you with me on one condition, "'that you obey any command I might give you at once, "'and without question.' "'Of course.' "'Be sure to understand me, Harry.' I mean that you must follow even such orders as to run, hide, or go back. Do I have your word? I, yes, of course. If I tell you to hide, will you do so? Yes. If I tell you to flee, will you obey? Yes. If I tell you to leave me and save yourself, you will do as I tell you. I, Harry. They looked at each other for a moment. Yes, sir. Very good. Then I wish you to go fetch your invisibility cloak and meet me in the entrance hall in five minutes' time. Dumbledore turned back to look out the fiery window. The sun was now a ruby-red glare along the horizon. Harry walked quickly from the office and down the spiral staircase. His mind was oddly clear all of a sudden. He knew what to do. Ron and Hermione were sitting together in the common room when he came back. What does he want? Hermione said at once. Harry, are you okay? She added anxiously. I'm fine, said Harry shortly, racing past them. He dashed up the stairs into his dormitory, where he flung open his trunk and pulled out the marauder's map and a pair of balled-up socks. Then he sped back down the stairs and into the common room, skidding to a halt where Ron and Hermione sat, looking stunned. I've got to be quick, Harry panted. Dumbledore thinks I'm getting my invisibility cloak. Listen. Quickly, he told them where he was going and why. He did not pause, either for Hermione's gasps of horror or... "'or for Ron's hasty questions. "'They could work out the finer details for themselves later. "'So you see what this means,' Harry finished, at a Gallop. "'Dumbledore won't be here tonight, "'so Malfoy's going to have another clear shot at whatever he's up to. "'No, listen to me!' "'He hissed angrily as both Ron and Hermione showed every sign of interrupting. "'I know it was Malfoy celebrating in the room of requirement. "'Here!' "'He shoved the Marauder's map into Hermione's hand. "'You've got to watch him, and you've got to watch Snape too.' Use anyone else who you can rustle up from the D.A., Hermione. Those contact galleons will still work, right? Dumbledore says he's put an extra protection in the school, but if Snape's involved, he'll know what Dumbledore's protection is and how to avoid it. But he won't be su- expecting you lot to be on the watch, will he? Harry, Hermione began, her eyes huge with fear. I haven't got time to argue, said Harry curtly. Take this as well. He thrusts the socks into Ron's hand. Thanks, said Ron. Uh, "'Why do I need socks? "'You need what's wrapped in them. "'It's Felix Felicis. "'Share it between yourselves and Ginny, too. "'Say goodbye to her for me. "'I'd better go. "'Dumbledore's waiting. "'No!' said Hermione, "'as Ron unwrapped the tiny little bottle of golden potion, "'looking awestruck. "'We don't want it. You take it. "'Who knows what you're going to be facing?' "'I'll be fine. I'll be with Dumbledore,' said Harry. "'I want to know you lot are okay.' "'Don't look like that, Hermione.' i'll see you later and he was off hurrying back through the portrait hole and toward the entrance hall dumbledore was waiting beside the oaken front doors he turned as harry came skidding out onto the topmost stone step panting hard a searing stitch in his side i would like you to wear your cloak please said dumbledore he waited until harry had thrown it on before saying very good shall we go Dumbledore set off at once down the stone steps, his own traveling cloak barely stirring into the small, still summer air. Harry hurried alongside him under the invisibility cloak, still panting and sweating rather a lot. But what will people think when they see you leaving, Professor? Harry asked, his mind on Malfoy and Snape. That I am off into Hogsmeade for a drink, said Dumbledore lightly. I sometimes offer Rosmerda, my custom or else visit Hogshead or I appear to. "'It is a good way, as any disguising one's true destination.' "'They made their way down the drive in the gathering twilight. "'The air was full of smells and warm grass, "'lake water and wood smoke from Hagrid's cabin. "'It was difficult to believe what they were heading "'for anything dangerous or frightening. "'Professor,' said Harry quietly, "'as the gates at the bottom of the drive came into view, "'will we be apparating?' "'Yes,' said Dumbledore. "'You can apparate now, I believe?' Yes, said Harry, but I haven't got a license. He felt it best to be honest, would have spoiled everything by turning up a hundred miles from where he was supposed to go. No matter, said Dumbledore. I can assist you again. They turned out of the gates into the twilight desert lane of Hogsmeade. Darkness descended fast as they walked. By the time they reached the high street night was falling in earnest. Lights twinkled from windows over shops. As they neared the three broomsticks, they heard... Ratia shouting. And stay out, <laughs> shouted Madame Rosemirta, forcibly ejecting a grubby-looking wizard. Oh, hello, Albus. You're late. Good evening. Good evening, Rosemirta. Good evening. Forgive me, I'm I'm off to Hogsmeade. A Hogshead. No offense, but I feel like a quieter atmosphere tonight. A minute later, they turned the corner into the side street where the Hogshead sign creaked a little. Though there was no breeze. In contrast to the three broomsticks, the pub appeared to be completely empty. It was not necessary for me to, for us to enter, muttered Dumbledore, glancing around. As long as nobody sees us go, now place your hand upon my arm, Harry. There is no need to grip too hard. I am merely guiding you. On the count of three. One. Two. Three. Harry turned at once. There was a horrible sensation that he had was being squeezed through a thick rubber tube. He could not draw breath. Every part of him was being compressed, almost past endurance. And then, just when he thought he must suffocate, the invisible band seemed to burst open, and he was standing in cool darkness, breathing in lungs full of fresh, salty air. So yeah, let's talk about that chapter for a bit, man. You find out uh, that's a a lot of foreshadowing. Um and stuff we'll definitely get into later so i'll let you take it away with that because you you hit that on you know you tackled that nailed that right on the head as far as trelawny and her vague prophecies but this one's gonna play a major role later on so i'll let you kind of uh dive into that what'd you pick up from this chapter man
0: yeah for sure uh before i just want everyone to know at the top of that page, there the last one you just read through at the three broomsticks, they heard raucous shouting, not racist shouting. So I just want to make sure people—I uh, want to uh, make sure yeah, people sorry. didn't That's mess nice. that Weird up real Georgia. quick. <laughs> that, that yeah. raucous shouting. No one was shouting racist, <laughs> racist things in, in the Science. three broomsticks. I promise, guys.
1: <laughs> but that anyways would be really bad. Yeah. Got protests going on at Hogsmeade, man. Got oh some my problems, goodness, man. Yeah, sorry. My- That's my strange. Uh, georgia accent but now i'm in florida so like i really should be somewhere like in idaho so uh yeah i could spell <laughs> that for you but no that was not racist <laughs> there, there's no racism going on here at all that's something else but yeah no uh ruckus is how you say it right r-a-u-c yeah 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 but that's what i was attempting to say <laughs> but no
0: worries i I knew it was just like you read it fast and you glanced over quickly but i was like i want to
1: make sure people know that
0: that is what we were trying to say so anyways no the the, the big takeaways i have from chapter 25 right uh harry and Ginny are officially boyfriend and girlfriend uh things are still happening outside of hogwarts like we saw in the, the first page of the chapter three dementor attacks in a week you know this is a bad thing here you know that they've all fully left azkaban and now they're attacking people in the streets like under voldemort's rule uh Hermione tries to provide evidence that the Half-Blood Prince was a girl by the name of Eileen Prince. That's going to come up big later on, who Eileen Prince is. Uh, Professor Trelawney being thrown out of the room requirement, but not before hearing a gleeful whooping noise from whoever was, who, from whoever was in there. So not only is that uh, foreshadowed in of itself, remember she was talking about the cards that she was pulling, and she even said... The lightning struck tower, calamity. So all these things that we we always joke about it, and we've said it every single book up until this point. Professor Trelawney makes these really vague predictions, but like if you interpret it a certain way, they almost always still come true. Even though she doesn't even mean for them to actually do it, like as like it's it's very it's I don't it's so interesting how it was written there. Those are some small things that growing up reading it, I didn't really pay attention to, and that's the beauty of rereading it as an adult mm-hmm. that. You know, you just thought, when I was a kid, I just thought Professor Trina was a complete kook. And I still think that for the majority of the part, but every time she says something, if you interpret what happens later on in a certain way, it could pretty much be what she had predicted, even though it was supposed to be her just being an idiot. So I thought that was wild, with her talking about that lightning-struck tower of the cards that she pulled in her tarot cards, or whatever she's doing with her (laughs) divination class, right? Doing the seances, Uh, (laughs) man. Right?
1: Then you were never a good seer, Harry, but a great object. <laughs> great object. That's not Harry. creepy. If I don't know what creepy is... <laughs> if I didn't know what creepy was, I would think that was it. That's a little strange. For sure. A lot.
0: We also learned that Snape was a Death Eater that overheard the prophecy that Trihalani gave Dumbledore and Hogshead, so that's really important. Mm-hmm. That's going to come up later on. That's a big foreshadow. We learned a little bit more about that. A little bit... Mostly next book. It does. I guess there is a, a part that make something that comes up a little bit later next week, but I won't get too far into that. But uh, Dumbledore believes he found a Horcrux, which is a huge moment. We're about to go figure out what that does. Chase is going to take us to the next mm-hmm. chapter uh, and talk about where this Horcrux is and, and everything that goes into that. Uh, Harry is going to go with Dumbledore to fears so that the school is going to be unprotected from Malfoy's plan. So he gives Ron and Hermione the Marauders wrap and the rest of the Felix Felicis potion instead of drinking it himself, as Hermione once suggested back then. So we're going to see the potential consequences uh, his actions, I think that's pretty cool to to kind of notate and make sure I put that out there for people to think about, and then uh, yeah, the Dumbledore and Harry meet in the entrance hall. They walk to Hogsmeade and apparate to the location. Dumbledore believes the Horcrux is that. I just think it was really funny when he tells Dumbledore honesty is the best policy, and he's like, yeah, I haven't got an operating license, but then <laughs> we're going to see what happens Like at the end right. of this next chapter. But anyways, uh, with that, I'll let you go ahead and give your takeaways, and I'll let you jump into the next chapter.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, Trelawney, that's a major takeaway there. Um, another piece of the takeaway I had, it kind of takes you back, like when you're a kid, you feel like... Um, Almost if you're looking at something from the outside, you feel like you solved the problem, right? You feel like you solved the issue. And Harry's just, like, busting his ass in there, not wanting to listen to anyone again. you think he would have matured up by now, back from when, you know, he was throwing things in Dumbledore's office. (laughs) And he still hasn't really learned. And uh, you really see here, you know, Dumbledore, he finally doesn't really put up with it after he's had this conversation so many times and you know Dumbledore's super calm but it even describes you know Harry was almost fearful for a minute that he had crossed some sort of line like he wasn't going to take him with him because finally Dumbledore you know this is the finally he's put his foot down on this he's like I've said what I need to say about it and you're gonna like you know enough of this (laughs) and uh, I think you know it, it I think Dumbledore is really the only one that can actually put Harry in his place in a moment like that, because you've seen how he just goes off on Professor Snape during a clemency and all these different things, because he doesn't listen to anybody. He hauled his ass all the way down to Ministry, the ministry when Hermione was telling him all year, like, maybe you should think this through, and finally I, it takes Dumbledore to really put him in his place, so yeah, uh, let's go ahead and dive into it, man. Here we go. Sounds good, brother. Here, yeah, take us away. We're yeah. on
0: chapter 26, the cave, and uh yeah, go ahead and, and wrap us through this one, and then we'll talk about this chapter, brother.
1: Yeah, man. Malice in the chalice. Let's knock it out of the park, man. It's uh Off to the Cave of Wonders. How does that song go? Okay, okay, <laughs> on Aladdin. And I <laughs> on another. Harry and I. (laughs) That's so bad. (laughs) Oh, no, this ain't factor melody here. (laughs) Okay, let's knock it out of the park, man. (laughs) Harry could smell the salt and hearing the rushing waves. A light, chilly breeze ruffled his hair as he looked out at the moonlit sea and star-strewn sky. He was standing upon a high outcrop of dark rock, water foaming and churning below him. He glanced over his shoulder. A towering cliff stood behind them a sheer drop, black and faceless. A few large chunks of rock, such as the one upon which Harry and Dumbledore were standing, looked as though they had broken away from a cliff face at some point in the past. It was bleak, harsh view, the sea, and the rock unrevealed by any tree or sweep of grass or sand. What do you think? asked Dumbledore. He might have been asking Harry's opinion on whether it was a good site for a picnic. They brought the kids from the orphanage here asked harry who could not imagine a less cozy spot for a day trip not here precisely said dumbledore there is a village of sorts about halfway along the cliffs behind us i believe the orphans were taken there for a little sea air and a view of waves no i think it was only ever tom rivel his youthful victims who visited the spot no muggle could reach the rock unless they were uncommonly good mountaineers "'and boats cannot approach the cliffs. "'Waters around here, them are too dangerous. "'I imagine that Riddle climbed down. "'Magic would have served better than ropes. "'And he brought two small children with him, "'probably for the pleasure of terrorizing them. "'I think the journey alone would have done it, don't you?' "'Harry looked up at the cliff again, felt goosebumps. "'But his final destination, and ours, "'lies a little farther on. Come.' Dumbledore beckoned Harry to the very edge of the rock.' "'where a series of jagged niches uh, made footholds leading down to the boulders, "'the lay half submerged in the water and closer to the cliff. "'It was a treacherous descent, "'and Dumbledore, hampered slightly by his withered hand, moved slowly. "'The lower rocks were slippery with seawater. "'Harry could feel flecks of cold salt spray hitting his face. "'Lumos,' said Dumbledore, "'as he reached the boulder closest to the cliff face. "'A thousand flecks of golden light sparkled upon the dark surface of water.' a few feet below where he crouched the black wall of rock beside him was illuminated too you see said dumbledore quietly holding his wand a little higher harry saw a fissure in the cliff into which dark water was swirling you will not object to getting a little wet no said harry then take off your invisibility cloak there is no need for it now and let us take the plunge And with the sudden agility of a much younger man, Dumbledore slid from the boulder, landed in the sea, and began to swim. With a perfect breaststroke toward the dark slit in the rock face, his his lit wand held in his teeth, Harry pulled off his cloak and stuffed it into his pocket and followed. The water was icy. Harry's waterlogged clothes billowed around him and weighed him down. Taking deep breaths that filled his nostrils with the tang of salt and seaweed, he struck out for the shimmering, shrinking light now moving deeper into the cliff. The fissure soon opened into a dark tunnel that Harry could tell would be filling water at high tide. The slimy walls were barely three feet apart and glimmered like wet tar in the passing light of Dumbledore's wand. A little way in, the passageway curved to the left, and Harry saw that it extended far into the cliff. He continued to swim in Dumbledore's wake, the tips of his benumbed fingers brushing the rough, wet rock. Then he saw Dumbledore rising out of the water ahead his silver hair and dark robes gleaming. When Harry reached the spot, he found steps that led into the large cave. He clambered upon them, water streaming from his soaking clothes and emerged shivering uncontrollably into the still freezing air. Dumbledore was standing in the middle of the cave. His wand held high as he turned slowly on the spot, examining the walls and ceiling. Yes, this is the place, said Dumbledore. How can you tell? Harry spoke in a whisper. It has known magic, said Dumbledore simply. Harry could not tell whether the shivers he was experiencing were due to his fine deep coldness, or to the same awareness of the enchantment he watched Dumbledore continue to revolve on the spot, evidently concentrating on these things Harry could not see. This is merely the antechamber, the entrance hall, said Dumbledore after a moment or two. We need to penetrate the inner place. Now, if it is Lord Voldemort's obstacles that stand in our way rather than those nature made Dumbledore approached the wall of the cave and caressed it with his blackened fingertips murmuring words in a strange tongue that Harry did not understand twice Dumbledore walked right around the cave touching as much of the rough rock as he could occasionally pausing running his fingers backward and forward over a particular spot until he finally stopped his hand pressed flat against the wall here, he said we go through here The entrance is concealed Harry did not ask how Dumbledore knew He had never seen a wizard work things out like this Simply by looking and touching But Harry had long since learned that bangs and smoke Were more often the marks of ineptitude than expertise Dumbledore stepped back from the cave wall And pointed his wand at the rock For a moment, an arched outline appeared there Blazing white As though there were a powerful light behind the crack You've done it! said harry through chattering teeth but before the words had left his lips the outline had gone leaving the rock as bare and solid as ever dumbledore looked around harry i'm so sorry i forgot he said he now pointed his wand at harry and at once harry's clothes were as warm and dry as if they had been hanging in front of the blazing fire thank you said harry gratefully but dumbledore had already turned his attention back to the solid cave wall He did not try any more magic, but simply stood there, staring at it intently, as though something extremely interesting was written on it. Harry stayed quite still. He did not want to break Dumbledore's concentration. Then after two solid minutes, Dumbledore said quietly, Oh, surely not. So crude. What is it, Professor? I rather think, said Dumbledore, putting his uninjured hand inside his robes and drawing out a short silver knife. "'of the kind Harry used to chop potion ingredients, "'that we are required to make payment to pass.' "'Payment,' said Harry. "'You've got to give the door something?' "'Yes,' said Dumbledore. "'Blood, if I'm not much mistaken.' "'Blood?' "'I said it was crude,' said Dumbledore, "'who sounded disdainful, even disappointed, "'as though Voldemort had fallen short "'of the standards Dumbledore expected.' The idea, as I'm sure you will have gathered, is that your enemy must weaken him or herself to enter. Once again, Lord Voldemort fails to grasp that there are much more terrible things than physical injury. Yeah, but still, if you can't avoid it, said Harry, who had experienced enough pain not to be keen for more. Sometimes, however, it's unavoidable, said Dumbledore. Shaking back the sleeve of his robes and exposing the forearm of his injured hand, ''Professor!'' protested Harry, hurrying forward as Dumbledore raised his knife. I'll do it. I'm... He did not know what he was going to say. Younger, fitter. But Dumbledore merely smiled. was a flash of silver and a spurt of scarlet. The rock face was peppered with dark, glistening drops. You are very kind, Harry, said Dumbledore, now passing the tip of his wand over the deep cut he had made in his own arm so that it healed instantly, just as Snape had healed Malfoy's wounds. But your blood is worth more than mine. Ah, that seems to have done the trick, doesn't it? The blazing silver outline of an arch had appeared in the wall once more. This time it did not fade away. The blood splattered rock within it simply vanished, leaving an opening into what seemed total darkness. After me, I think, said Dumbledore, and he walked through the archway with Harry on his heels, lighting, lighting his own wand hastily as he went, An eerie sight met their eyes. They were standing on the edge of a great black lake, so vast that Harry could not make out the distant banks, and a cavern so high that the ceiling too was out of sight. A misty greenish light shone far away, and what looked like the middle of the lake, it was reflected in completely still water below. The greenish glow and light from two wands were the only things that broke the otherwise velvety blackness. Through their rays did not penetrate as far as Harry would have expected. The darkness... "'was somehow denser than normal darkness. "'Let us walk,' said Dumbledore quietly. "'Be very careful not to step into the water. "'Stay close to me.' "'He set off around the edge of the lake. Harry followed close behind him. "'Their footsteps made echoing, slapping sounds "'on the narrow rim of the rock that surrounded the water. "'On and on they walked, but the view did not weary. "'On one side of them, the rough cavern wall, "'on the other the boundless expanse of smooth, glassy blackness.' In the very middle of which was mysterious greenish, greenish glow. Harry he found the place in the silence oppressive, unnerving. Professor, he said finally, do you think the Horcrux is here? Oh, yes, said Dumbledore. Yes, I'm sure it is. The question is how do we get to it? We couldn't. We couldn't just try a summoning charm, Harry he said sure that is the stupidest suggestion but he was much keener than he was prepared to admit on getting out of this place as soon as possible certainly we could said dumbledore stopping so suddenly that harry almost walked into him why don't you do it me oh okay harry had not expected this but he cleared his throat and loudly waned aloft akio horkrups With a noise like an explosion, something very large and pale erupted out of the dark water some twenty feet away. Before Harry could see what it was, it had vanished again, with a crashing splash that made a great deep ripples on the mirrored surface. Harry leapt backwards in shock and hit the wall. His heart was still thundering as he turned to Dumbledore. What was that? Something, I think, that is ready to respond should we attempt to seize the Horcrux. Harry looked back at the water. The surface of the lake was once more shining black glass. The ripples had vanished unnaturally fast. Harry's heart, however, was still pounding. Do you think that that would happen, sir? I think something would happen if we made an obvious attempt to get our hands on the Horcrux. That was a very good idea, Harry. Much the simplest way of finding out what we're facing. "'But we don't know what that thing was,' said Harry, "'looking at the sinisterly smoothing water. "'Smooth water.' "'What the things are, you mean,' said Dumbledore. "'I doubt very much that there is only one of them. "'Shall we walk on?' "'Professor.' "'Yes, Harry.' "'Do you think we're going to have to go into the lake?' "'Into it? "'Only if we are very unfortunate. "'You don't think that Horcrux is at the bottom?' "'Oh, no. "'I think the Horcrux is in the middle.' "'and Dumbledore pointed toward the misty green light "'in the center of the lake. "'So we're going to have to cross that lake to get to it?' "'Yes, I think so.' "'Harry did not say anything. "'His thoughts were all of water monsters, "'of giant serpents, of demons, kelpies, and and sprites. "'Aha!' said Dumbledore, and he stopped again this time. "'Harry really did walk into him. "'For a moment he toppled on the edge of the water, "'the dark water, and Dumbledore's uninjured hand "'closed tightly around his upper arm, pulling him back. "'So sorry, Harry. "'I should have given warning. "'Stand back against the wall, please. "'I think I've found the place.' "'Harry had no idea what Dumbledore meant. "'The patch of dark bank was exactly like every other bit "'as far as he could tell, "'but Dumbledore seemed to have detected something special about it. "'This time, as he was running his hand, "'not over the rocky wall, but through the thin air, "'as though expecting to find and grip something invisible.' "'Oh,' said Dumbledore happily seconds later. "'His hand had closed in midair upon something Harry could not see. "'Dumbledore moved closer to the water. "'Harry watched nervously as the tips of Dumbledore's buckled shoes "'found the utmost edge of the rock rim. "'Keeping his hand clenched in midair, "'Dumbledore raised his wand with the other "'and tapped his fist with the point. "'Immediately a thick coppery green chain appeared out of thin air, "'extending from the depths of the water into Dumbledore's clenched hands. "'Dumbledore tapped the chain.' which began to slide through his fist like a snake, coiling itself on the ground with a clinking sound that echoed noisily off the rocky walls, pulling something from the depths of the black water. Harry gasped as the ghostly prow of a tiny boat broke the surface, glowing as green as the chain, and floated, with barely a ripple toward the place of the bank where Harry and Dumbledore stood. "'How do you know that was there?' Harry asked in astonishment. "'Magic always leaves a trace,' said Dumbledore as the boat hit the bank with a gentle bump. Sometimes very distinctive traces. I taught Tom Riddle. I know his style. Is is this boat safe? Oh, yes, I think so. Voldemort needed to create a means to cross the lake without attracting the wrath of those creatures he had placed within it in case he ever wanted to visit or remove his cork rooks. So, the things in the water won't do anything, to us if we cross in voldemort's boat i think we must resign ourselves to the fact that they will at some point realize we are not lord voldemort thus far however we have done well they have allowed us to raise the boat but why have they let us Asked harry who could not shake off the vision of tentacles rising out of the dark water at the moment they were out of sight of the bank "'Voldemort would have been reasonably confident "'that none but a very great wizard "'would have been able to find the boat,' said Dumbledore. "'I think he would have been prepared "'to risk what was to his mind, "'the most unlikely possibility "'that somebody else would find it. "'Knowing that he had set other obstacles ahead "'that only he would be able to penetrate, "'we shall see whether he is right.' "'Harry looked down into the boat. "'It was really... was very small. "'It doesn't look like it was built for two people.' "'Will it hold both of us? Will it be too heavy together?' Dumbledore chuckled. (laughs) "'Voldemort will not have cared about the weight, (laughs) but about magical power that crossed the lake. i rather think an enchantment will have been placed upon this boat "'so that only one wizard at a time will be able to sail in it. "'But then... "'I do not think you will count, Harry. You are underage and unqualified. "'Voldemort would never have expected a 16-year-old to reach this place.' I think it unlikely that your powers will register compared to mine." These words did nothing to raise Harry's morale. Perhaps Dumbledore knew it, for he added, "Voldemort's mistake, Harry. Voldemort's mistake. Age is foolish and forgetful when it underestimates youth. Now, you first this time, and be careful not to touch the water.' Dumbledore stood aside, and Harry climbed carefully into the boat. Dumbledore stepped in too, coiling the chain onto the floor. They were crammed in together. Harry could not comfortably sit, but crouched his knees jutting over the edge of the boat, which began to move at once. There was no sound other than the silken rustle of boat's prow cleavering, cleavering, cleaving the water. It moved without their help, as though an invisible rope was pulling it onward, toward the light at the center. Soon they could no longer see the walls of the cavern. They might have been at sea, except that there were no waves. Harry looked down and saw the reflected gold of his wand light sparkling, glittering on the back water as they passed. The boat was carving deep ripples upon the glassy surface, grooves in the dark mirror, and then Harry saw it, marble white, floating inches below the surface. "Professor," he said, his startled voice echoed loudly over the silent water. "Harry? I think I saw a hand in the water, a human hand." "Yes, I'm sure you did," said Dumbledore calmly. Harry stared down into the water, looking for the vanished hand and a sick feeling of rose in his throat. So that thing that jumped out of the water? But Harry had his answer before Dumbledore could reply. The one light had slid over a fresh patch of water and showed him. This time, a dead man laying face up, inches beneath the surface. His open eyes misted as though his cobwebs, his hair, and his robes swirling around him like smoke. There are bodies in here! said Harry, and his voice sounded much higher than usual and most unlike his own. Yes, said Dumbledore placidly, but we do not need to worry about them at the moment. At the moment, Harry repeated, tearing his gaze from his water to look at Dumbledore. Not while they are merely drifting peacefully below us, said Dumbledore. There is nothing to be feared from a body, Harry, any more than there is to be feared from the darkness. Lord Voldemort, who, of course, secretly fears both degrees, disagrees. But once again, he reveals his own lack of wisdom. It is the unknown we fear when we look upon death and darkness. Nothing more. Harry said nothing. He did not want to argue, but he found the idea that there were bodies floating around them and beneath them horrible. And what was more, he did not believe that they were not dangerous. But one of them jumped, he said, trying to make his voice as level and calm as Dumbledore's. "'When I tried to summon the Horcrux, a body left out of the lake.' "'Yes,' said Dumbledore. "'I'm sure that once we take the Horcrux, we shall find them less peaceable. "'However, like many creatures that dwell in cold and darkness, "'they fear light and warmth, "'which we shall therefore call to our aid should the need arise. "'Fire, Harry,' Dumbledore added with a smile "'in response to Harry's bewildered expression. "'Oh.' Right, said Harry quickly. He turned his head to look at the greenish glow toward the boat, was still inexorably sailing. He could not pretend now that he was not scared. The great black lake teeming with the dead. It seemed hours and hours ago that he had met Professor Trelawney, that he had given Ron and Hermione Felix Felices. He suddenly wished he had said better goodbye to them, and he hadn't seen Jenny at all. Nearly there, said Dumbledore, cheerfully. Sure enough, the greenish light seemed to be growing larger at last, and within minutes the boat had come to a halt, bumping gently into something that Harry could not see at first. But when he raised his illuminated wand, he saw that they had reached a small island of smooth rock in the center of the lake. Careful not to touch the water, said Dumbledore again as Harry climbed off the boat. The island was no larger than Dumbledore's office, an expanse of flat, dark stone on which stood nothing but the source of wet greenish light, which looked much brighter when viewed close to. Harry squinted at it at first. He thought it was a lamp of some kind, but then he saw it. The light was coming from the stone basin, rather like the pin sieve, which was set on top of a pedestal. Dumbledore approached the basin, and Harry followed. Side by side, they looked down it. The basin was full of an emerald liquid, emitting the phosphorus glow. What is it? asked Harry quietly. "'I'm not sure,' said Dumbledore. "'Something more worrisome than blood and bodies, however.' Dumbledore pushed back the sleeve of the robe over the black hand and stretched out the tips of his burned fingers towards the surface of the potion. "'Sir, do not touch!' "'I cannot touch,' said Dumbledore, smiling faintly. "'See, I cannot approach any nearer than this. You try.' "'Staring, Harry put his hand into the basin and attempted to touch the potion.' He met an invisible barrier that prevented him coming within an inch of it. No matter how hard he pushed, his fingers encountered nothing. but what seemed to be solid and inflexible air. Out of the way, please, Harry, said Dumbledore. He raised his wand and made complicated movements over the surface of the potion, murmuring soundlessly. Nothing happened, except perhaps the potion glowed a little brighter. Harry remained silent while Dumbledore worked, but after... A while, Dumbledore withdrew his wand, and Harry felt it was safe to talk again. You think the horcrux is in there, sir? Oh, yes. Dumbledore peered more closely into the basin. Harry saw his face reflected upside down, and the smooth surface of the green potion. But how to reach it? This potion cannot be penetrated by hand. Vanished, parted, scooped up, or siphoned away? Nor can it be transfigured, charmed, or otherwise made to change its nature, Almost absentmindedly, Dumbledore raised his wand again, twirled it once in midair, and then caught the crystal goblet out of the hand, conjured out of nowhere. I can only conclude that this potion is supposed to be drunk. What? Said Harry. No. Yes, I think so. Only by drinking it can I empty the basin and see what lies in depths. But what if... What if it kills you? Uh, I doubt it would work like that, said Dumbledore easily. Lord Voldemort would not want to kill the person who reached this island. Harry couldn't believe it. Was this more of Dumbledore's insane determination to see good in everyone? Sir. And Harry, trying to keep his voice reasonable, Sir, this is Voldemort Or, I'm sorry, Harry. I should have said... He would not want to immediately kill the person who reached the island, Dumbledore corrected himself. He would want to keep them alive long enough to find out how they managed to penetrate so far through his defenses, and most importantly of all, why they were so intent upon emptying the basin. Do not forget that Lord Voldemort believes that he alone knows about horcruxes. Harry made to speak again, but this time Dumbledore raised his hand for silence, frowning slightly at the emerald liquid, evidently thinking hard. Undoubtedly, he said finally. This potion must act in a way that will prevent me taking the horcrux. It might paralyze me, cause me to forget what I am here for, create so much pain that I am distracted, or render me incapable in some other way. This being the case, Harry, it will be your job to make sure I keep drinking, even if you have to tip the potion into my protesting mouth. You understand? Their eyes met over the basin. Each pale face lit with the strange green light. Harry did not speak. Was this why he had been invited, all along, invited along, so that he could be he could force-feed Dumbledore a potion that might cause him unendurable pain? You remember," said Dumbledore, "the condition on which I brought you with me." Harry hesitated, looking into the blue eyes that had turned green and the reflected light of the basin but what if you swore did you not to follow any command I gave you yes but I warned you did I not that there might be danger yes said Harry but well then said Dumbledore shaking back his sleeves once more and raising the empty goblet you have my orders why can't I drink the potion instead asked Harry desperately because I am much older much cleverer "'And much less valuable,' said Dumbledore, "'and once and for all, Harry. "'Do I have your word that you will do all in your power "'to make me keep drinking?' "'Could it... do I have it? "'But... your word, Harry. "'I... all right, but... "'Before Harry could make any further protest, "'Dumbledore lowered the crystal goblet into the potion. "'For a split second, Harry hoped that he would not be able "'to touch the potion.' with the goblet but the crystal sank into the surface as nothing else had when the glass was full to the brim dumbledore lifted it to his mouth your good health harry and he drained the goblet harry watched terrified his hand gripped the rim of the basin so hard that his fingertips were numb professor he said anxiously as dumbledore lowered the empty glass how do you feel dumbledore shook his head his eyes closed harry wondered whether he was in pain Dumbledore plunged the glass blindly back into the basin Refilled it and drank it once more In silence, Dumbledore drank three goblets full of the potion Then halfway through the fourth goblet He staggered and fell forward against the basin His eyes were still closed, his breathing heavy Professor Dumbledore, said Harry His voice strained Can you hear me? Dumbledore did not answer His face was twitching as though he was deeply asleep But dreaming a horrible dream His grip on the goblet was slackening. The potion was about to spill from it. Harry reached forward and grasped the crystal cup, holding it steady. "'Professor, can you hear me?' He repeated loudly, his voice echoing around the cavern. Dumbledore panted, and then spoke in a voice Harry did not recognize, for he had never heard Dumbledore frightened like this. "'I don't want—don't make me!' Harry stared into the whitened face, for he knew so well at the crooked nose and the half-moon spectacles— and did not know what to do I don't like want to stop moaned Dumbledore you you can't stop professor said Harry you got to keep drinking remember you told me you have to keep drinking Here, hating himself repulsed by what he was doing Harry forced the goblet back towards Dumbledore's mouth and tipped it so that Dumbledore drank the remainder of the potion inside no he groaned as Harry lowered the goblet back into the basin and refilled it for him i don't want to i don't want to let me go it's all right professor said harry his hands still shaking it's all right i'm here make it stop make it stop moaned dumbledore yes yes this will make it stop lied harry he tipped the contents of the goblet into dumbledore's mouth open mouth dumbledore screamed the noise echoed all around the vast chamber across the dead black water no 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 i can't i can't don't make me don't want to it's all right professor it's all right said harry loudly his hands shaking so badly he could hardly scoop up the sixth goblet full of potion the basin was now half empty nothing's happening to you you're safe it isn't real i swear it isn't real take this now take this And obediently, Dumbledore drank as though it was an antidote Harry offered him. But upon draining the goblet, he sank to his knees, shaking uncontrollably. It's all my fault! It's all my fault! He sobbed. Please make it stop! I know I did wrong. Oh, please make it stop! I'll never, I'll never, never again! This will make it stop, Professor, Harry said, his voice cracking as he tipped the seventh glass of potion into Dumbledore's mouth. Dumbledore began to cower as the invisible torture surrounded him. His flailing hand almost knocked the refilled goblet from Harry's trembling hands as he moaned, Don't hurt them! Don't hurt them! Please! Please! It's not my fault! Hurt me instead! Here, drink this! Drink this! You will be alright, said Harry desperately. And once again, Dumbledore obeyed him, opening his mouth even as he kept his eyes tight shut and shook from head to foot. And now he fell forward, screaming again, hammering his fist upon the ground, while Harry filled the ninth goblet. Please, no! No! Not that! Not that! I'll do anything! Just drink, Professor. Just drink. Doubledore or drank like a child, dying of thirst. But when he had finished, he yelled again as though his insides were on fire. No more! No more! No more! Harry scooped up the tenth goblet full of potion and felt the crystal scrape the bottom of the basin. "'We're nearly there, Professor. Drink this. Drink it.' He supported Dumbledore's shoulders again, and Dumbledore drained the glass. And then Harry was on his feet once more, refilling the goblet, as Dumbledore began to scream in more anguish than ever, "'I want to die! I want to die! Make it stop! Make it stop! I want to die!' "'Drink this, Professor. Drink it!' Dumbledore drank, and no sooner he had finished the yelled, "'KILL ME! This this one will!' Gasp Harry, just drink this. It'll be over, all over. Dumbledore gulped at the goblet and drained every last drop, and then with a great rattling gasp, rolled over onto his face. "No!" shouted Harry, who had stood to refill the goblet again. Instead, he dropped the cup into the basin and flung himself down beside Dumbledore, and heaved him over the over onto his back. Dumbledore's glasses were askew, his mouth agape, his eyes closed. No," said Harry, shaking Dumbledore. "No, you're not dead. You said it wasn't poison. Wake up, wake up, renervate!" He cried, his wand pointing at Dumbledore's chest, and there was a flash of red light, but nothing happened. "Renervate, sir! Please!" Dumbledore's eyes flickered. Harry's heart leapt. "Sir, are you?" Water," croaked Dumbledore. "Water," panted Harry. "Yes." he leapt to his feet and seized the goblet he had dropped in the basin he barely registered the golden locket lying curled beneath it Aquamente! he shouted jabbing the goblet with his wand the goblet filled with clear water Harry dropped to his knees beside Dumbledore raised his head and brought the glass to his lips but it, it was empty Dumbledore groaned and began to pant but I had some weight Aquamenti said Harry again pointing his wand at the goblet once more for a second clear water gleamed within it but as he approached dumbledore's mouth the water vanished again sir i'm trying i'm trying said harry desperately but he did not think that dumbledore could hear him he had rolled over to his side and saw was a drawing a great rattling breast that sounded agonizing aqua Aquaminti aqua the goblet filled and empty once more and now dumbledore's breathing was fading His brain whirling in panic, Harry knew instinctively the only way left to get water because Voldemort had planned it so. He flung himself over the edge of the rock and plunged the goblet into the lake, bringing it up full to the brim of icy water that did not vanish. Sir, here, Harry yelled, and lunging forward, he tipped the water clumsily over Dumbledore's face. It was the best he could do. For the icy feeling on his arm not holding the cup was not lingering chill of the water. A slimy white hand had gripped his wrist, and the creature to whom it belonged was pulling him slowly backward across the rock. The surface of the lake was no longer mirror smooth. It was churning, and everywhere Harry looked, white heads and hands were emerging from the dark water men and women and children were sunken sightless eyes were moving toward the rock an army of dead rising from the black water petrificus totalis yelled harry struggling to cling to the smooth soaked surface of the island as he pointed his wand at the infurious that had his arm it released him falling backward into the water with a splash he scrambled to his feet but many more inferior were already climbing onto the rock their bony hands clawing in it at his slippery surface their blank frosted eyes upon him trailing waterlogged rags sunken faces leering patrificus totalis! harry bellowed again backing away as he swiped his wand through the air six or seven of them crumpled but more of them were coming toward him impedimenta incarceris a few of them stumbled one or two and then bound in ropes but those climbing onto the rock behind them merely stepped over or on the fallen bodies still slashing at the air with his wand harry yelled sectum simpra sectum simpra but through gashes appeared in the sodden rags their icy skin they had no blood to spill they walked on unfeeling shrunken heads outstretched towards him and as he backed away still farther he felt arms enclose him from behind thin fleshless arms cold as death and his feet left the ground as they lifted and began to carry him slowly and surely back to the water. And he knew there would be no release, that he would be drowned and become one more dead guardian of a fragment of Voldemort's shattered soul. But then, through the darkness, fire erupted. Crimson and gold "'A ring of fire that surrounded the rock "'so that the Inferi holding Harry so tightly stumbled and faltered. "'They did not dare pass through the flames to get to the water. "'They dropped Harry. "'He hit the ground, slipped on the rock, and fell, "'grazing his arms, but scrambled back up "'and raising his wand and staring around. "'Dumbledore was on his feet again, "'pale as any of the surrounding Inferi, "'but taller than any two, the fire dancing in his eyes. "'His wand was raised like a torch from its tip.' emanated the flames like a vast lasso, encircling them all with warmth. The Inferi bumped into each other, attempting blindly to escape the fire in which they were enclosed. Dumbledore scooped the locket from the bottom of the stone basin and stowed it inside his robes. Wordlessly, he gestured to Harry to come to his side. Distracted by the flames, the Inferi seemed unaware that the quarry was leaving as Dumbledore led Harry back to the boat, the ring of fire moving with them. "'Around them, bewildered the inferior, "'accompanying them to the water's edge, "'where they slipped gratefully back into the dark waters. "'Harry, who was shaking all over, "'thought for a moment that Dumbledore "'might not be able to climb into the boat. "'He staggered a little as he attempted it. "'All his efforts seemed to be going "'into maintaining the ring of perfect- protective flame around them. "'Harry seized him and helped him back up to his seat. "'Once they were both safely jammed inside again, The boat began to move back across the black water, away from the rock, still encircled by the ring of fire, and it seemed that the Inferi swarming below them did not dare resurface. "'Sir,' panted Harry. "'Sir, I forgot about fire. They they coming at me, and I panic.' "'Quite understandable,' murmured Dumbledore. Harry was alarmed to hear how faint his voice was. They reached the bank with a little bump, and Harry leapt out. They turned quickly to help Dumbledore. The moment that Dumbledore reached the bank, he let his wand hand fall. The ring of fire vanished, but the Inferi did not emerge again from the water. The little boat sank into the water once more, clanking and tinkling. Its chain slithered back into the lake, too. Dumbledore gave a great sigh and leaned against the cavern wall. "'I'm weak,' he said. "'Don't worry, sir,' said Harriet, once anxious about Dumbledore's extreme pallor and by his air of exhaustion. "'Don't worry, I'll get us back.' "'Lean on me, sir,' and pulling Dumbledore's uninjured arm around his shoulders, Harry guided his headmaster back around the lake, bearing most of his weight. The protection was, after all, well-designed,' said Dumbledore faintly. "'One alone could not have done it.' "'You did well. (laughs) Very well, Harry.' "'Don't talk now,' said Harry. "'Fearing how slurred Dumbledore's voice had had become, how much his feet dragged, save your energy sir we'll soon be out of here the archway will have sealed again my knife there's no need i got cut on the rock said harry firmly just tell me where here harry wiped his grazed forearm upon the stone upon the stone having received its tribute of blood the archway reopened instant instantly they crossed the outer cave and harry helped dumbledore back into the icy seawater that filled the crevice in the cliff it's going to be all right, sir," Harry said over and over again, more worried about Dumbledore's silence than he had been by his weakened voice. "We're nearly there. Vi- we're nearly there. I can apparate us both back. Don't worry. I'm not worried," Harry said. Dumbledore, his voice a little stronger despite the freezing water. "I'm with you." What an awesome uh, talk about we're getting to that peak moment, man. And um, going back to your point uh on this i think this is that even more than you know my favorite book order of the phoenix and we saw how much you know that big fight took out of dumbledore when now um he's basically fighting a whole army of these things and he he just you know they say firestorm the spell that he casted is one of the most heavy on a wizard And given Dumbledore's age, we're seeing the toll this just took on him. After, on top of that, he just had to drain probably one of the worst potions in the entire wizarding world that any normal man would have killed. So, like, the things he's even had to go through just at his age are even amazing that he's been able to stand it through. Um, But we, you know, through this chapter, it's, Uh, really diving back into it's a lot of full circle moments here Uh, you're going back to where Tom Riddle first started you know Voldemort started his whole rise to power here when he started you know taking the kids from the orphanage into the cave here where all this was kind of starting Um, and then on top of that like what an amazing moment like this whole time we don't really think about it too much from the beginning about them and their apparition classes and even going right to the start of this you know right before the start of this chapter before right where he was like I don't have my apparition license well it's almost like the whole time Dumbledore was waiting on Harry to have confidence himself to do it and then this whole time where you've been hearing about apparition and apparition tests it all comes full circle to where it matters most add this one moment um so those were some of the biggest things that i got from this chapter here what about you jay nelly
0: <clears throat> well the first thing that i want to like talk touch on is that the drink wouldn't have killed anyone else the whole point is that even dumbledore said like this isn't meant to kill he would want to voldemort would want to question the person who got to this point so i don't think the drink would have killed anybody else but it is still remarkable what dumbledore was able to do yeah. after weakening himself to that point uh so and that's funny because Kind of both of our interesting facts that we come up with for this episode are very, very similarly entwined. So when you were talking about the fire with the inferior there, mine has to do with this actual drink, the drink of despair, uh, which we'll get into in a little bit. But my biggest takeaways are, uh, again, some of the full circle moments, right? Uh, When they took uh, Amy Amy Benson and Dennis Bishop back from the orphanage, where you get into the spot where Tom Riddle kind of started it all. Uh, He kind of is up to his old tricks, like trying to weaken the person by needing a blood sacrifice to get through the archway door, you know, going across the lake, making the person weaken themselves by taking the drink. I have got questions about that. Like, I'm not going to straight out say that there were plot holes that I can feel confident about saying that they are, but I've Mm -hmm. got a couple of things I'll talk about with, like, two or three things that are just happening in that chapter alone uh, when it gets to that time. So, I mean, the biggest thing that I took away is that... uh, they the they did a lot, and we find out later, not this week, next week, they did a lot for uh, a payoff that they weren't expecting. <laughs> I'll say yeah. that, because... And even part of me really wonders, what if it was Harry that took the drink? Like, I don't think Dumbledore would let him do so, but like, part of me wonders, maybe they would have been better off, maybe if they had had Harry take this drink instead yeah. of Dumbledore. I don't know, that's just kind of getting nitty-gritty with it, but... Definitely some things that I have. Uh, also, it, it's also a foreshadow too of Dumbledore being in anguish and saying these things. It's not their fault. Don't hurt them. Hurt me instead. Like that's some stuff that's going to come up huge next book when we learn about Dumbledore's past. Uh, that kind of has been kept secret all up until this time. You know, from from Dumbledore, he's kind of up until this point had this aura of mystique, like this untouchable. Wizard who just kind of knows all and is all, almost not not all powerful, but like people respect him as the greatest wizard of the age for sure, if not all time, you know. So it's just it's it's it, the start of where we're gonna learn later on. So that's a good foreshadow event there, and then it just you know part of it's a it's a pre climax, right? It's kind of a pre climax. You know what, what, the chapter I'm about to jump into, 27, that's the actual climax, but this is kind of the pre-climax, they've got to fight all these, in theory, dead bodies coming out of the water, like, Harry, for some reason, has no brain, and can't think, oh wait, Dumbledore literally told <laughs> me to use fire, fire? like, after, even though he, he just told him that, No, no right? I just told like, him, and he's using, like, he, he, it came to his mind to use the spell he used on Malfoy before fire, like, the one that slashes <laughs> people open, like, Come on, man. And then Dumbledore, like, already weakens. Like, come on, Harry. Like, what do I, else do I got to do, man? I got us here. I, I got us in, like, the blood sacrifice. I found the boat. I figured out how to get the Horcrux. Could you do something, Harry? Could you, could you do one thing, like, worthwhile? Like, nope. <laughs> absolutely not. I guess I'll just cast the big fire thing. And like you said, apparently it's a very, very powerful spell that takes a lot out of a wizard. But, yo know, let me go ahead and take care of this too for you, Harry. Hopefully you can get us out of here because that's about all you're good for, so... That's All the same some of my I, takeaways.
1: Definitely. I was just going to yeah, say, they, I would have thought like a Triwizard champion would have thought of something to hold off some corpses, right? Uh, by the way, anything you want to say real quick? I got a great debate for you. Throw it out, man. I, I That's kind of the big takeaways I had. So throw out that great debate. Let's get into it. Yeah, man. With the gods of the underworld. With the cave of wonders. So, yeah arabian nights oh yeah in fury for days anyways so <laughs> this goes back to kind of where we were talking uh actually a little bit even in this chapter what if harry had used felix Felicis when they were in there do you think anything would have gone different no, and let me let me tell you
0: why I don't think so. There was nothing that they had trouble with, really. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not like there was these unforeseen circumstances where luck would have played a factor into it. Like they still would have had to do everything that they did to get to the Horcrux. Like that fact wouldn't change. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, they take Felix Felicis and all of a sudden the archway doesn't require blood anymore. Like, no, it's still you still need to get, like, blood to get <laughs> through the door. You still got to find out where that trace of magic is to find the chain to get to the boat. You still got to sail the boat across the thing. You got to get to the island. The only thing that Felix Felicis might have done, because Dumbledore would still be weakened, there would be no difference there, is that Harry might have remembered to use fire. Like, that that yeah. really might have been, like, the really big difference. And at that point, I don't really think that changes much of how things end up regardless. That's, like my opinion on it tell me what you think
1: yeah i mean that's kind of what i was thinking well i mean maybe yeah i I think you hit the nail on the head there because we were thinking we were talking about this a couple weeks ago too um because hermione did bring up a great point i think he would have remembered to use fire because dumbledore just told him about it like whether he just conjured it up out of thin air or (laughs) said something or even just did like a a baby fire spell like Hagrid did in Sorcerer's Stone to light a fire (laughs) like out of his umbrella or something like you would have thought of something like how many times have you thought do you know how many fire spells there are like yeah I doubt you probably would have conjured firestorm like that's not easy to do like you gotta have experience and the dude can barely apparate he doesn't even have enough confidence in himself to apparate there (laughs) <laughs> not like Dumbledore is not going to help him out along the way. So I don't, I don't know. Like because Felix Felicis, like everything went perfect when he was with Slughorn. So it. it here's the thing. You're right because I got to give it 100 percent to you. I don't think it would have really made a difference because you still got to get past the door. Like if anything, Harry just cuts himself. Like okay, like Albus is still like do you think that cut really took a lot of out of albus but and i still think just like you're saying albus would not have ever let harry drink that potion like maybe if harry drank the potion but i, I here's here's an argument though what if harry had mastered a clemency? do you think that albus would have ever felt comfortable with him Dealing with the potion because, but then again, I still would say no because Albus himself had problems with the potion, even if he had mastered Occlumency. But it just makes you wonder. With Felix Felicis, maybe he could have convinced them and said, you know, you know, you're not a spring chicken anymore, Dumbledore. I got this. And goes in all drunk and he's all half dazed, anyways, you know, and wakes up with a hangover the next day. Like, I mean, I I don't I don't know because I feel like. I don't think Harry would have died, but at the same time, it really makes you wonder with what he went through in year five. So what are kind of your thoughts on that? Like, what if, let's just say what if, I doubt it would happen. Let's just bring all questions to the table on this one debate real quick, and then we'll close it up. What if Harry found some way after drinking Felix Felicis to convince Albus to let him drink the potion? Do you think it would have gone any different? That's the only thing that probably would have made that part go any
0: different. But then we have the flip side of what happens back at Hogwarts because remember, I don't want to get ahead of rune anything. Felix Felici's plays a big role in how no the how how events transpire there with uh, when it comes to casualties and lack thereof. I'll say I'll say that. Like, you know what I mean? So, I feel like Felix Felici's made a bigger impact where it went like how it happened in the book, then it would have been so had Harry taken it before he went to the cave with Dumbledore. Because, like I said, the only thing that would have changed is that maybe he could have used some sweet talk and smooth words to let Dumbledore know that he should take the potion. Because if Dumbledore himself thought like it's not meant to kill anybody, I don't think mm-hmm. that Harry has so many painful memories that would haunt him, kind of like they did to Dumbledore. I guess maybe... Like, he feels guilty for Sirius's death. Maybe that would be something. I mean, he barely remembers his parents dying, you know, as a one-year-old. He already had to fight that with the Dementors. So, I mean, I don't know. I just think... The only thing I could think is that when they get back to Hogwarts, it would have been very beneficial to have as close to a fully capable Dumbledore as possible versus what we end up going back to Hogwarts with. But that still being said, there was a whole plan in place that we find out next book. And that kind of is, you know, that need stuff needed to happen for a reason here. So I really don't think in the overall it would change much because this is something... What happens in the this next chapter that I'm going to go over was something that was necessary that was going to happen regardless of anything. So right. I don't really yeah. think it changes too much. I really think that Felix Felicis played a better role and a bigger part where... actually ended up going versus if we played this what if game and had them take it before they went to the cave so that's my thoughts on it
1: no i i have to agree because and we won't give away spoilers for what would happen right but i mean they could come back and no one be there (laughs) like you see what i mean like it it still could be like a cluster screw (laughs) is basically what it could be so no I, I think you're right uh i feel like uh honestly here's the other thing too if you really want to think about it i think Dumbledore's smart enough to kind of read into harry and know if he's taken felix Felici's or not so he might not even let him go at that point
0: i still think he probably would have let him go i don't think that he would have been you know, mad that you took a lucky potion. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that would have really made much of a difference one way or the other. I just think for what ended up what it was, because there's that gleeful whooping that happened in the rumor Requirement before Felix Felicis was ever taken. So whatever was going to happen at Hogwarts was going to happen regardless. We, we, we no matter who took Felix Felicis, whether they took it to the cave or whether they gave it to Ron and Hermione, which he ended up doing. So all that was going to happen. The only thing I could think of is it would have turned out worse if they had taken Felix Felicis to the cave simply because of what ends up happening at Hogwarts and how, you know, we'll learn more about that, not even in the chapter that I read here, but mostly next week when we, we read about the aftermath of what happens after <laughs> I read this next chapter. Yeah. You know, they said that, like, you know, certain things were happening and they, think, they thank Felix Felicis for how it happened at Hogwarts, where... Outside of that, who knows, you know, who may have not made it past that night where what ends up happening in this book was going to happen regardless when it comes to Dumbledore. Right. right. So Definitely. there was a whole plan in place, you know, and this, there was this whole thing and that we don't want to give it away or anything. But I really don't think it made it would make much of a difference where Felix went. I think it did the most benefit to where it ended up going actually in the book.
1: Yeah. I agree, I agree with you. And uh with that, yeah, I'd say 100%. If only they had Drogon man. I guess that's a little bit of foreshadowing into the next book. <laughs> there you go. Hint hint Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs> uh with that, the great debate is off to the shadows. I think this is one uh we actually fully agreed on. That doesn't happen very often. 100%. Yeah. So Yeah. That was yeah, a good that was a good debate poll
0: too. That was a good one. I like that. Just
1: it's an interesting thought because, and I'll, I'll wrap this up here, because think about it. Um, if Harry can overcome possession, do you think he could overcome the potion? Probably, at his age.
0: Yeah, but like I said, the, the, the potion isn't meant to kill anybody. You know, It's just meant to weaken them right. to a wild state, which I still think it would weaken Harry. Like I said, the yeah. only thing that would change at all would be Dumbledore would be more healthy. Like, he would be... Of course he's not going to be at his full powers because of his hand, right? He had that withered hand mm-hmm. because of the ring that he tried to take that was a Horcrux. So like he's not 100%, but like Dumbledore at 80% might have made a difference if he decided he wanted to um take part in some sort of action that's about to happen in this like the next yeah. section that I guess I could read. But right. that's the thing is that that wasn't part of the the plan. You know, there was a plan in mm-hmm. place and like I said, so yeah. I think without further ado, we should jump into what actually it. happens instead of keep keep <laughs> alluding to the people. We're going to give them the, the actual <laughs> climax, because here we are at hit Chapter stuff, 27. Man. The uh, the lightning struck tower, so I'll take us through here through the end of the chapter, then we'll discuss it and get into the next parts of potential plot holes or little discrepancies, our interesting facts, and, and we'll close out today. But let me go ahead and jump into here. Uh, awesome, once Back man. Under the Starry Sky... Harry heaved Dumbledore onto the top of the nearest boulder and then to his feet. Sodden and shivering, Dumbledore's weight still upon him, Harry concentrated harder than he had ever done upon his destination. Hogsmeade. Closing his eyes, gripping Dumbledore's arm as tightly as he could, he stepped forward into that feeling of horrible compression. He knew it had worked before he opened his eyes. The smell of salt, the sea breeze had gone. He and Dumbledore were shivering and dripping in the middle of the dark high street in Hogsmeade. And for one horrible moment... Harry's imagination showed him more in creeping towards him around the sides of the shops, but he blinked and saw that nothing was stirring. All was still. The darkness was complete, but for a few street lamps and lit upper windows. We did it, Professor, whispered Harry with difficulty. He suddenly realized that he had a searing stitch in his chest. We did it. We got the Horcrux. Dumbledore staggered against him. For a moment, Harry thought that his inexpert apparition had thrown Dumbledore off balance "'Then he saw his face, paler and damper than ever in the distant light of a street lamp. "'Sir, are you all right?' "'I've been better,' said Dumbledore weakly, through the corners of his mouth twitched. "'That potion was no health drink.' "'And to Harry's horror, Dumbledore sank onto the ground. "'Sir, it's okay, sir. You're going to be all right. Don't worry.' "'He looked around desperately for help, but there was nobody to be seen, "'and all he could think was that he must somehow get the Dumbledore quickly to the hospital wing.' "'We need to get you up to the school, sir.' "'Madame Pomfrey.' "'No,' said Dumbledore. "'It is Professor Snape whom I need. "'But I do not think I can walk very far just yet.' "'Right, sir, listen. "'I'm going to knock on a door, find a place you can stay. "'Then I can run and get Madam Severus,' said Dumbledore clearly. "'I need Severus.' "'All right then, Snape. "'But I'm going to have to leave you for a moment so I can...' "'Before Harry could make a move, however, he heard a running footsteps.' "'His heart leapt. Somebody had seen. Somebody knew they needed help. "'And looking around, he saw Madame Rosmerta scurrying down the dark street toward them "'on high-heeled, fluffy slippers, wearing a silk dressing gown embroidered with dragons. "'I saw you apparate as I was pulling my bedroom curtains. "'Thank goodness! Thank goodness! I couldn't think what to—' "'But but what's wrong with Albus?' "'She came to a halt, panting, and stared down, wide-eyed at Dumbledore. "'He's hurt,' said Harry. "'Madame Rosmerta, can he come into the three broomsticks while I go up to the school and get help for him?' "'You can't go up there alone. "'Don't you realize? "'Haven't you seen?' "'If you help me support him,' said Harry, not listening to her, "'I think we can get him inside.' "'What has happened?' asked Dumbledore. "'Rosemera, what's wrong?' "'The... the dark mark, Albus.' "'She pointed into the sky in the direction of Hogwarts. "'Dread flooded Harry at the sound of the words. "'He turned and looked. "'There it was, hanging in the sky above the school, "'the blazing green skull with a serpent tongue.' "'the mark Death Eaters left behind whenever they had entered a building, "'wherever they had murdered. "'When did it appear?' asked Dumbledore, "'and his hand clenched painfully upon Harry's shoulder as he struggled to his feet. "'Must have been minutes ago. "'It wasn't there when I put the cat out. "'But when I got upstairs... "'We need to return to the castle at once,' said Dumbledore. Rosmerta, "'And though he staggered a little, he seemed wholly in command of the situation. "'We need transport. "'Brooms.' "'I've got a couple behind the bar,' she said, looking very frightened. "'Shall I run and fetch?' "'No. "'Harry can do it.' "'Harry raised his wand at once. "Accio, Rosmerta's brooms!' "'A second later they heard a loud bang as the front door of the pub burst open. Two brooms had shot out into the street and were racing in each other to Harry's side, "'where they stopped dead, quivering slightly at waist height. "'Rosmerta, please send a message to the Ministry,' said Dumbledore as he mounted the broom nearest him. "'It might be that nobody within Hogwarts has yet realized anything is wrong. "'Harry!' Put on your invisibility cloak. Harry pulled his invisibility cloak out of his pocket and threw it over himself before mounting his broom. Madame Rosemerta was already tottering back toward her pub as Harry and Dumbledore kicked off the ground and rose into the air. As they sped toward the castle, Harry glanced sideways at Dumbledore, ready to grab him should he fall, but the sight of the dark mark seemed to have acted upon Dumbledore like a stimulant. He was bent low over his broom, his eyes fixed upon the mark his long silver hair and beard flying behind him on the night air. And Harry, too, looked ahead at the skull, and fear swelled inside him like a venomous bubble, compressing his lungs, driving all other discomfort from him. How long had they been away? Had Ron, Hermione, and Ginny's luck run out by now? Was it one of them who had caused the mark to be set over the school? Or was it Neville, or Luna, or some other member of the DA? And if it was, he was the one who had told them to patrol the corridors. He had asked them to leave the safety of their beds. Would he be responsible, again, for the death of a friend? As they flew over the dark, twisting lane down which they had walked earlier, Harry heard, over the whistling of the night air in his ears, Dumbledore muttering in some strange language again. He thought he understood why as he felt his broom shudder when they flew over the boundary wall into the grounds. Dumbledore was undoing the enchantments he himself had set around the castle so they could enter at speed. The dark mark was glittering directly above the astronomy tower, the highest of the castle. Did that mean the death had occurred there? Dumbledore had already crossed the crenadled ramparts and was dismounting. Harry landed next to him seconds later and looked around. The ramparts were deserted. The door to the spiral staircase that had led back into the castle was closed. There was no sign of a struggle. Of a fight to the death. Of a body. What does it mean? Harry asked Dumbledore, looking up at the green skull with its serpent's tongue glinting evilly above them. Is this the real mark? "'Has someone den- Has someone definitely been professor?' "'In the dim, dim green low from the mark, "'Harry saw Dumbledore clutching at his chest with his blackened hand. "'Go and wake Severus,' said Dumbledore faintly but clearly. "'Tell him what has happened and bring him to me. "'Do nothing else, speak to no one else, and do not remove your cloak. "'I shall wait here.' "'But you swore to obey me, Harry. Go!' "'Harry hurried over to the door leading to the spiral staircase,' but his hand had only just closed upon the iron ring of the door when he had heard footsteps running on the other side. He looked around at Dumbledore, who gestured him to retreat. Harry backed away, drawing his wand as he did so. The door burst open, and somebody erupted through it and shouted, Expelliarmus! And Harry's body became instantly rigid and immobile, and he felt himself fall back against the tower wall, propped like an unsteady statue, unable to move or speak. He could not understand how it had happened. Expelliarmus was not a freezing charm. Then, by the light of the mark, he saw Dumbledore's wand flying in an arc over the edge of the ramparts, and he understood. Dumbledore had wordlessly immobilized Harry, and the second he had taken to perform the spell had cost him the chance to defend himself. Standing against the ramparts, very white in the face, Dumbledore still showed no sign of panic or distress. He merely looked across at his disarmor and said, "'Good evening, Draco.' Malfoy stepped forward, glancing around quickly to check that he and Dumbledore were alone. His eyes fell upon the second broom. "'Who else is here?' "'A question I might ask you. Or are you acting alone?' Harry saw Malfoy's pale eyes shift back to Dumbledore in the greenish glare of the mark. "'No,' he said. "'I've got backup. There are Death Eaters here in your school tonight.' "'Well, well,' said Dumbledore as though Malfoy was showing him an ambitious homework project." "'Very good indeed. You found a way to let them in, did you?' "'Yeah,' said Malfoy, who was panting right under your nose, and you never realized. "'Ingenious,' said Dumbledore. "'Yet, forgive me, where are they now? You seem unsupported.' "'They met some of your guards. They're having a fight down below. They won't be long. I came on ahead. I, I've i got a job to do.' "'Well, then you must get on and do it, my dear boy,' said Dumbledore softly.' There was silence. Harry stood imprisoned with his own invisible, paralyzed body, staring at the two of them, ears straining to hear sounds of the Death Eater's distant fight, and in front of him, Draco Malfoy did nothing but stare at Albus Dumbledore, who, incredibly, smiled. Draco. Draco, you are not a killer. How do you know? said Malfoy at once. He seemed to realize how childish the words had, soo- the words had sounded as Harry saw him flush in the marks' greenish light. "'You don't know what I'm capable of,' said Malfoy more forcefully. "'You don't know what I've done!' "'Oh, yes, I do,' said Dumbledore mildly. "'You almost killed Katie Bell and Ronald Weasley. "'You have been trying, with increasing desperation, to kill me all year. "'Forgive me, Draco, but they have been feeble attempts. "'So feeble, to be honest, I wondered whether your heart has really been in it.' <laughs> "'It has been in it,' said Malfoy vehemently. "'I've been working in it all year, and tonight,' "'Somewhere in the depths of the castle below, Harry heard a muffled yell. "'Malfoy stiffened and glanced over his shoulder. "'Somebody is putting up a good fight,' said Dumbledore conversationally. "'But you were saying, yes, you have managed to introduce Death Eaters into my school, "'which, I admit, I thought impossible. "'How did you do it?' "'But Malfoy said nothing. "'He was still listening to whatever was happening below "'and seemed almost as paralyzed as Harry was. "'Perhaps you ought to get on with the job alone,' suggested Dumbledore. What if your backup has been thwarted by my guard? As you have perhaps realized, there are members of the Order of the Phoenix here tonight too. And after all, you don't really need help. I have no wand at the moment. I cannot defend myself. Malfoy merely stared at him. I see, said Dumbledore kindly, when Malfoy neither moved nor spoke. You are afraid to act until they join you. I am not afraid, snarled Malfoy, though he still made no move to hurt Dumbledore. It is you who should be scared. But why? I don't think you will kill me, Draco. Killing is not nearly as easy as the innocent believe. So tell me, while we wait for your friends, how did you smuggle them in here? It seems to have taken you a long time to work out how to do it. Malfoy looked as though he was fighting down the urge to shout or to vomit. He gulped, and took several breaths, glaring at Dumbledore, his wand pointing directly at the latter's heart. Then, as though he could not help himself, he said, I had to mend the broken vanishing cabinet that no one's used for years, the one Montag got lost in last year. Ah, Dumbledore's sigh was half a groan. He closed his eyes for a moment. That was clever. There is a pair, I take it? And Borgin and Burks, said Malfoy, and they make a kind of passage between them. Montag told me that when he stuck in the Hogwarts one, he was trapped in limbo, but sometimes he could hear what was going on at the school, and sometimes what was going on in the shop, as if the cabinet was traveling between them, but he couldn't make anyone hear him, and in the end, he managed to apparate out, even though he'd never passed his test. He nearly died doing it. Everyone thought it was a really good story, but I was the only one who realized what it meant. Even Borgen didn't know. I was the one who realized there could be a way into Hogwarts through the cabinets if I fixed the broken one. Very good, murmured Dumbledore. So the Death Eaters were able to pass from Borgin and Burks into the school to help you. A clever plan. A very clever plan. And, as you say, right under my nose. Yeah, said Malfoy, who bizarrely seemed to draw courage and comfort from Dumbledore's praise. Yeah, it was. But there were times, Dumbledore went on, weren't there? when you were not sure you would succeed in mending the cabinet. And he resorted to crude and badly judged measures such as sending me a cursed necklace that was bound to reach the wrong hands, poisoning me that there was only the slightest chance I might drink. Yeah, well, you still do not realize who was behind that stuff, did you? Sneered Malfoy as Dumbledore slid a little down the ramparts, the strength in his legs apparently fading, and Harry struggled fruitlessly mutely against the enchantment binding him. As a matter of fact, I did, said Dumbledore. I was sure it was you. Why didn't you stop me then, Malfoy demanded. I tried, Draco. Professor Snape has been keeping watch over you on my orders. He hasn't been doing your orders. He promised my mother. Of course, that is what he would tell you, Draco, but he's a double agent, you stupid old man. He isn't working for you. You just think he is. We must agree to differ on that, Draco. It so happens that I trust Professor Snape. "'Well, you're losing your grip, then,' sneered Malfoy. "'He's been offering me plenty of help, wanting all the glory for himself, wanting a bit of the action. "'What are you doing? Did you do the necklace? That was stupid. "'It could have blown everything, but I haven't told him what I've been doing in the Room of Requirement. "'He's going to wake up tomorrow, and it'll all be over, and he won't be the Dark Lord's favorite anymore. "'He'll be nothing compared to me. Nothing!' "'Very gratifying,' said Dumbledore mildly. "'We all like appreciation for our own hard work, of course.' But you must have had an accomplice, all the same. Someone in Hogsmeade. Someone who was able to slip Katie the- uh, Ah. Dumbledore's eyes closed again and nodded as though he was about to fall asleep. Of course. Rosemerta. How long has she been under the Imperius curse? Got there at last, have you? Malfoy taunted. There was another yell from below. Rather louder than the last. Malfoy looked nervously over his shoulder again, then back at Dumbledore, who went on. "'So poor Rosemerta was forced to lurk in her own bathroom "'and pass that necklace to any Hogwarts student "'who entered the room unaccompanied? "'And the poisoned mead? "'Well, naturally Rosemerta was able to poison it for you "'before she sent the bottle to Slughorn, "'believing that it was to be my Christmas present. "'Yes, very neat, very neat. "'Poor Missile Filch would not, of course, "'think to check a bottle of Rosemerta's. "'Tell me, how have you been communicating with Rosemerta? "'I thought we had all methods of communication "'in and out of the school monitored.' "'Enchanted coins,' said Malfoy, as though he was compelled to keep talking, "'though his wand hand was shaking badly. "'I had one, and she had the other, and I could send her messages.' "'Isn't that the secret method of communication "'the group that called themselves Dumbledore's Army last year used?' "'asked Dumbledore. His voice was light and conversational. "'But Harry saw him slip an inch lower down the wall as he said it. "'Yeah, I got the idea from them,' said Malfoy with a twisted smile.' "'I got the idea of poisoning the mead from the mudblood Granger as well. "'I heard her talking in the library about Filch not recognizing potions.' "'Please do not use that offensive word in front of me,' said Dumbledore. "'Malfoy gave a harsh laugh. "'You care about me saying mudblood when I'm about to kill you?' "'Yes, I do,' said Dumbledore, "'and Harry saw his feet slide a little on the floor as he struggled to remain upright. "'But as for being about to kill me, Draco,' You have had several long minutes now, and we are quite alone. I am more defenseless than you could have dreamed of finding me, and still, you have not acted. Malfoy's mouth contorted involuntarily as though he had tasted something very bitter. Now, about tonight, Dumbledore went on. I am a little puzzled about how it happened. You knew that I had left the school, but of course, he answered his own question, Rosemarita saw me leaving, and she tipped you off using ingenious coins, I'm sure. That's right, said Malfoy. "'But she said you were just going for a drink, that you'd be back.' "'Well, I I certainly did have a drink, and I came back after a fashion,' mumbled Dumbledore. "'So you decided to spring a trap for me?' "'We decided to put the dark mark over the tower and get you to hurry back up here to see who had been killed,' said Malfoy, and it worked. "'Well, yes and no,' said Dumbledore. "'But am I to take it, then, that nobody has been murdered?' "'Someone's dead,' said Malfoy, and his voice seemed to go up an octave as he said it. "'One of your people.' "'I don't know who. It was dark. I stepped over the body. "'I was supposed to be waiting up here when you got back. "'Only your phoenix slot got in the way.' "'Yes, they do that,' said Dumbledore. "'There was a bang and shouts from below, louder than ever. "'It sounded as though people were fighting on the actual spiral staircase "'that led to where Dumbledore, Malfoy, and Harry stood, "'and Harry's heart thundered, unheard in his invisible chest. "'Someone was dead. Malfoy had stepped over the body, but who was it?' "'There is little time, one way or another,' said Dumbledore.' "'So let us discuss your options, Draco.' "'My options?' said Malfoy loudly. "'I'm standing here with a wand. I'm about to kill you.' "'My dear boy, let us have no more pretense about that. "'If you were going to kill me, you would have done it when you first disarmed me. "'You have not been stopped for this pleasant chat about ways and means.' "'I haven't got any options,' said Malfoy, and he was suddenly white as Dumbledore. "'I've got to do it. He'll kill me. He'll kill my whole family.' "'I appreciate the difficulty of your position,' said Dumbledore. "'Why else do you think I have not confronted you before now? "'Because I knew that you would have been murdered "'if Lord Voldemort realized that I suspected you.' "'Malfoy winced at the sound of the name. "'I did not dare speak to you of the mission "'with which I knew you had been entrusted, "'in case he used Legilimency against you,' continued Dumbledore. "'But now, at last, we can speak plainly to each other. "'No harm has been done.' "'You have hurt nobody, though you are very lucky that your unintentional victim survived. "'I can help you, Draco.' "'No, you can't,' said Malfoy his one, hand shaking badly indeed. "'Nobody can. He told me to do it or he'll kill me. I've got no choice.' "'He cannot kill you if you are already dead. "'Come over to the right side, Draco, and we can hide you more completely than you can possibly imagine. "'What is more,' I can send members of the Order to your mothers tonight to hide her likewise. Nobody would be surprised that you had died in your attempts to kill me. Forgive me, but Lord Voldemort probably expects it. Nor would the Death Eaters be surprised that we had captured and killed your mother. It is what they would do themselves, after all. Your father is safe at Askaban in the moment. When the time comes, we can protect him too. Come over to the right side, Draco. You are not a killer." "'Malfoy stared at Dumbledore. "'But I got this far, didn't I?' he said slowly. "'They thought i died in the attempt, but I'm here, and you're in my power. "'I'm the one with the wand. You're at my mercy.' "'No, Draco,' said Dumbledore quietly. "'It is my mercy, and not yours, that matters now.' "'Malfoy did not speak. His mouth was open, his wand hand still trembling. "'Harry thought he saw it drop by a fraction.' But then suddenly footsteps were thundering up the stairs and a second later, Malfoy was buffeted out of the way as four people in black robes burst through the door onto the ramparts. Still paralyzed, his eyes staring unblinkingly, Harry gazed in terror upon the four strangers. It seemed the Death Eaters had won the fight below. A lumpy-looking man with an odd lopsided leer gave a wheezy giggle. Dumbledore cornered, he said, and he turned to a stocky little woman who looked as though she could be his sister, who was also grinning eagerly. Dumbledore wanless, Dumbledore alone. Well done, Draco, well done. Good evening, Amicus, said Dumbledore calmly as though welcoming the man to a tea party. And you've brought Electo, too. Charming. The woman gave a little angry titter. Think your jokes will help you on your deathbed then, she jeered. Jokes? No, no, these are manners, replied Dumbledore. Do it, said the stranger standing nearest to Harry, a big, Rangy man with matted gray hair and whiskers, whose black death-eater robes looked uncomfortably tight. He had a voice like none that Harry had ever heard, a rasping bark of a voice. Harry could smell a powerful mixture of dirt, sweat, and unmistakably of blood coming from him. His filthy hands had long, yellowish nails. Is that you, Frenrir? asked Dumbledore. That's right, rasped the other. "Please to see me, Dumbledore? No, I cannot say that I am. Greyback grinned and showed his pointed teeth. Blood trickled down his chin as he licked his lips slowly, obscenely. "'But you know how much I like kids, Dumbledore!' "'Am I to take it that you are attacking, even without the full moon now? "'That is most unusual. "'You have developed a taste for human flesh that cannot be satisfied once a month?' "'That's right,' said Fenrir Greyback. "'Shocks you, that, does it, Dumbledore? "'Frightens you?' Well, I cannot pretend that it does not disgust me a little, said Dumbledore. And yes, I am a little shocked that Draco here invited you of all people into the school where his friends live. I didn't, breathed Malfoy. He was not looking at Fenrir. He did not want to even glance at him. I didn't know he was going to come. I wouldn't want to miss a a trip to Hogwarts, Dumbledore, rasped. Greyback. Not when there are throats to be ripped out. Delicious, delicious. And he raised a yellow fingernail and picked at his front teeth, leering at Dumbledore. I could do you for afters, Dumbledore. No, said the fourth Death Eater sharply. He had a heavy, brutal-looking face. We've got orders. Draco's got to do it. Now, Draco, and quickly. Malfoy was showing less resolution than ever. He looked terrified as he stared into Dumbledore's face, which was even paler and rather lower than usual as he had slid so far down the rampart wall. "'He's not long for this world anyway, if you ask me,' said the lopsided man to the accompaniment of his sister wheezing, giggles. "'Look at him. What's happened to you then, Dumby?' "'Oh, weaker resistance. Slow reflexes, Amicus,' said Dumbledore. "'Old age in short. One day, perhaps, it will happen to you, if you are lucky.' "'What's that mean, then? What's that mean?' yelled the Death Eater, suddenly violent. "'Always the same, weren't you, Dumby? "'Talking and doing nothing. "'Nothing.' I don't even know why the Dark Lord's bothering to kill you! Come on, Draco, do it! But at that moment there were renewed sounds of scuffling from below, and a voice shouted, They've blocked the stairs! Reducto! Reducto! Harry's heart leapt. So these four had not eliminated all opposition, but merely broken through the fight to the top of the tower, and by the sound of it created a barrier behind them. Now, Draco, quickly! said the brutal faced man angrily. But Malfoy's hand was shaking so badly that he could barely aim. I'll do it, snarled Fenrir, moving toward Dumbledore. With his hands outstretched, his teeth bared. I said no, shouted the brutal-faced man. There was a flash of light, and the werewolf blasted out of the way. He hit the ramparts and staggered, looking furious. Harry's heart was hammering so hard it seemed impossible that nobody could hear him standing there, imprisoned by Dumbledore's spell. If he could only move, he could aim a curse from under the cloak. Draco, do it, or stand aside, so one of us screeched to him. But at that precise moment... The door to the ramparts burst open once more, and there stood Snape, his wand clutched in his hand, his eyes black, swept the scene from Dumbledore slumped against the wall to the four Death Eaters, including the enraged werewolf and Malfoy. We've got a problem, Snape, said the lumpy amicus, whose eyes and wand were fixed alike upon Dumbledore. The boy doesn't seem able, but someone else had spoken Snape's name quite softly. Severus. The sound frightened Harry beyond anything he had experienced all evening. For the first time, Dumbledore was pleading. Snape said nothing, but walked forward and pushed Malfoy roughly out of the way. The three Death Eaters fell back without a word. Even the werewolf seemed cowed. Snape gazed for a moment at Dumbledore, and there was revulsion and hatred etched in the harsh lines of his face. Severus, please. Snape raised his wand and pointed it directly at Dumbledore. Avada Kedavra! A jet of green light shot from the end of Snape's wand and hit Dumbledore squarely in the chest. Harry's scream of horror never left him. Silent and unmoving, he was forced to watch as Dumbledore was blasted into the air. For a split second, he seemed to hang suspended beneath the shining skull, and then he fell slowly, Backward, like a great ragdoll, over the battlements and out of sight. And that ends chapter 27, The Lightning Struck Tower. So, as you guys can see, (laughs) that was some major climax and big moments. And this is exactly why we don't want to push the chapters and go further. This is a big moment. It deserves its time and respect for us to break it down talk about the scene a little bit and what really kind of caught our attention so since i just read that whole bit chase i'll let you go ahead and talk a little bit about your takeaways from this chapter then
1: i'll I'll do mine as well yeah uh just starting off with this chapter um of course we don't want to give anything away but it this is exactly what i was talking about at the very beginning here as rereading this as an adult and Realizing the situation and who's in control of what. So, not giving anything away. Um, but even just, uh, we'll take it on a small scale for a minute here. The whole way Albus was able to control the situation with Draco is absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, he knew Harry could have casted a curse on Draco. So what did he do? (laughs) He bound them so he can't do anything. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately, here he's stuck to watch and torture. Um, But, you know, he was it's just amazing the way he was able to talk through things. And just even if you look at this spot of he was just trying to make sure, you know, here that Draco wouldn't be labeled as a killer. Like, imagine what Draco would have to live with from then on. Um, And just even buying time and kind of playing the situation, like, oh, tell me about your feelings. Almost like a guidance counselor, right? Tell me how you feel about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's, uh, um, you know, finally, we actually see Finier Greyback in person. (laughs) So we see that that sick, sadistic, you know what, right? Uh, And we've been hearing about him for so long that finally we see him in person and it's just amazing, even how weak Dumbledore is in this moment. And think of the situation—you know, he's up on the tower by himself, defenseless. Not only is Draco Malfoy basically trapped him there, and uh, he's making sure you know Harry doesn't do anything, but at the same time, then you have Fenrir Greyback and probably the most heinous werewolf of all time. And even Dumbledore is just like, I mean, I can't say it doesn't disgust me. That's pretty messed (laughs) up. (laughs) So just like the whole calmness um, Dumbledore has always had from the point of Sorcerer's Stone since we've known him all the way from the beginning. He's always kept that calmness no matter what the situation. I think the only time he's only kept somewhat of like no calmness maybe might have been Order of the Phoenix when You know they were choking out the sneak (laughs) but uh, or you know harry but um just everything really builds up to a head here and i mean of course you know the next book we get in there's a massive that is really like the massive climax of the overall arc but other than that like this is the climax i would probably say of the books besides the one we get into when it keeps going up enough in the fourth quarter. Um, but it's just such a powerful moment. and it It's almost like as Harry Potter fans, right? I still remember when I was reading this, I almost felt like we couldn't catch a break because we just saw Sirius, like the person we've gro- grown so close to, uh, fall through the veil. And now you're watching the person we've seen literally from day one like sirius came in book three like we were really close to sirius but at the same time we still have known albus longer and he really is kind of like the godfather of harry potter right (laughs) and even worse the way this happens it's not like snape just i mean i guess you can kind of say merciful but like yeah it just ended his life but you have to have that lingering image of him falling off the tower and almost like freezing there like a rag doll Uh, and it just lingers with you and it's a still a moment especially even how we've gone through this whole arc for this whole year even you know i us as harry potter fans all of us and our, our listeners if you guys are listening or watching you know this like this moment no matter how long it's been whether it's been 10 years we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of just the film saga so you're looking at almost 30 years for the books this moment i don't care what it is if this moment doesn't give you chills or sit some sort of way with you it's (laughs) i mean obviously you haven't been reading because this is a this is a big one and with that i'll I'll turn it back over to you what do you think about this chapter man
0: uh, well, I mean, obviously the biggest takeaway is like the ultimate good guy, the one that seemed all powerful to help Harry through any situation, mm-hmm. is gone. Like your your security blanket is gone. That's that's it. Like Dumbledore is the greatest wizard that Harry ever had encountered. He and he was always had his back. He'd always show up at the right moments. Like we always give dumbledore a hard time especially going back to reading it, how he always shows up a little bit too late probably should have done better about yeah. <laughs> being there more presently during things but like at the end of the day he always made sure nothing went too far like he always he he had everything under like a semblance of control at least well now it's gone there's no security blanket you are on your own my man that's like you know and what's pretty cool too a couple moments in this like Thought it was pretty cool that Harry had only accomplished operating once before this. He only and he only operated mm. from like a few feet from where he was into the hoop. So like he only was able to right. do that one time. But now he can operate like hundred miles, whatever it is, <laughs> like like yeah. perfectly with someone with him. And like, you know, like I'm not saying it's bad because like, you know, you guys do see those kind of stories where you know, if a baby gets trapped under a car, a mom can all of a sudden, like, lift the car and move it and stuff. Like, there's, like, mm-hmm. crazy things that can happen in life or death situations that give you, uh, more ability to do things than your, like, the adrenaline rush and then maybe normally would. But I still thought that was pretty interesting, uh... The fact that, like, when they arrive, the dark marks above the school—well, we all know what the dark mark signifies. It signifies someone's been murdered there. So imagine, like, showing up there. Well, remember when Dumbledore got Harry, in the... Ch- like, mad at Harry in the last chapter that g read, when he was like, "Don't think I left this school unprotected. Like, don't think I don't take the security of my students, like, seriously. I do, Harry." Well, like imagine being Dumbledore coming back, and you just see like the dark mark over your school. When you yeah. just said that you take the security very seriously, like Dumbledore had to be <laughs> shit in his pants in the inside, even though he's like he has an outwardly yeah. calm demeanor. He had to be shit in his pants on the inside, right? But um, I also found it interesting because I want to know what happened with the whole Rose thing. I know that she was under the Imperius curse, and that Malfoy was uh, kind of communicating with the coins. Remember, Dumbledore also told her to go like like alert the Ministry. So, like, how long does it take when you're a wizard to alert the Ministry of Magic, and how long does it take for the Ministry to show up? Like, like <laughs> at this whole thing, I felt like they were talking for a good half right. hour between Dumbledore and Malfoy. Like, it, it, it took that long before, like, Ministry officials could appear? Or is it because Madame Rosmerta was so far underneath the Imperius curse that, like, she wasn't going to do what Dumbledore asked her to do in terms of alerting the Ministry? That, mm-hmm. I don't know. But anyways... I also thought it'd be kind of, it's kind of cool to see Dumbledore riding a broom. That must have been a sight, this old-ass man, like, flying on a broom. Yeah. like Kind of <laughs> like, you know, does you see in the visuals in the movies right? I'm playing Quidditch, I just <laughs> imagine like, Dumbledore just on his broom at, like, <laughs> 150 years old or whatever the hell he is. I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, then in, in Harry, in his mind, what could have been going through for him? Like, remember, he was like, dude, am I going to be responsible again for the death of somebody else that I tried to, like, you know, keep, get them out of their beds, get them out of safety to see if they could stop this from happening? Is someone else going to be dead now because of me? Like, that's sad as fuck, bro. Um, and it, I think it's pretty cool, too, that, like, when Draco burst through the door and disarmed Dumbledore, Dumbledore silently put a freezing charm on Harry. Like, likely that was to make sure that Harry didn't start battling back. Like, you know, Harry was, mm-hmm. was going to go try go out go on Blazes of Gory. Like, he's like, me and Dumbledore versus everyone, we can do this. But, like, before anything, Dumbledore was like, nah, man, got to freeze you. You're going to ruin everything, Harry. <laughs> Sorry, Harry, bro. you're going to ruin the plan, man. We got to freeze you, buddy. Sorry. You know, but, like, and also, and I know that we don't talk too much about, you know, differences until we get to that episode, but I thought it was pretty important to see when he, they said that when Draco disarmed him, his wand flew off the ramparts and fell behind him off the tower. So, right. like, I say that for a reason because of what's going to come up later on, like, that we talk about for the mm-hmm. film. But, like, it literally said in that book, as I just read, that when he blasted Dumbledore's wand out of his hand, it flew over end over end behind him off the ramparts. So, like, I don't understand why the film did something different. But, anyways. Were um... they, like, digging? Yeah. <laughs> Someone go <laughs> digging in the grass or something? I've got like, no I don't clue. know what happened either. I don't That's know. That's a
1: question I got to. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't. That was where I. We'll get into that in a couple weeks. For sure. It, it's, I have. Yeah. I still want to pass it, but we'll, we'll get into that when we get there. That, yeah. It's I, like they do so well for five minutes <laughs> and then they just shit themselves. Like, what happened? <laughs> anyway. I, anyway,
0: yeah. Like, what's also really important from this chapter specifically is we get to learn how Draco did what he did. Like, it wasn't genius. He was like, when you're reading this for the first time, we've got the benefit of already reading it before. So we, we kind of. Like, you know, the, the moments don't affect us as much because, like, we've already seen and, and read it, right? But, like, when you read it for the first time, like, that's genius. Using the Vanishing Cabinet to bring the Death Eaters in from another, yeah, like, location fully in Diagon Alley. I, mean, I guess it's Nocturn Alley, not Diagon Alley. My apologies. So, Borgin and brooks in Nocturn There's the Vanishing Cabinet that will take you from one directly into the room requirement where the Vanishing Cabinet is there. That's awesome. Like, that's a really, really smart thing for Draco to do. And, like, it's not that Draco's yeah. an idiot. He's always been a pretty good student, but... You know, this is the first time, like, his ways get... get It makes it dangerous for everybody else in a, in a real villain type of way. Like, he's been like a play villain up until this point. Like, he's, been, he's been more of an antagonist more than a villain. But this time, like, you know, he was able to really put some... Some stuff together that is very uh bad guy-esque so yeah, but the thing is like he's felt forced and compelled to do it though and that's a whole nother thing that's a whole nother conversation about you know the con- like the conflict within draco malfoy himself that's just another big thing that i took away from this chapter is that like you know if those death theaters weren't there could dumbledore have talked him out of doing anything you know what i mean like but you know, then we have them all cornered. Then the Death Eaters show up on the ramparts, and now Dumbledore's cornered. And Dumbledore's like, "All right, my original plan kind of has to, kind of has to happen now." Where you know, I, I wonder if the Order of the Phoenix was able to beat the Death Eaters. If that would have changed the overall plan or not, who knows? But that's another thing too. How many times are the Order of the Phoenix going to get their asses kicked? I was going like, to say, like, like they that got is their ass,
1: like, <laughs> Dude, they like got like their ass kicked in the Department of. Men- I don't get it, man. Yeah, like, it's no, like, no si- matter why, why? No matter, uh, Sirius did. was the only one that was able to hold his own last time, and he got overconfident and bolted like, over. King, in Kingsley Markel.
0: Shacklebolt did a good job
1: too. Don't let
0: me wrong, Kingsley Shacklebolt did an amazing job too. But okay. I'm just saying he wasn't here in this in this one. But my problem is, is that like this is the second time the Order of is supposed to be like the good guys, man. They're they're supposed to be like. You know the Jedi, if you will, of Star Wars, where they like are keeping the peace, man. Like they know how to fight and battle and keep the evil at bay. But like every single time we've seen them in action, they got their ass kicked. And book five in the Order of the Phoenix they got their ass kicked in the Department of Mysteries. This book they get their ass kicked in Hogwarts. Like, like literally, like they're. <laughs> what good are they, man? They're like, and then next book, like. Not, not for nothing there's some people that drop like flies too it's just what good is the order of the phoenix man without dumbledore it's just a mess but regardless there's uh sorry
1: not to interrupt you i just wanted to say a quick little thought piggybacking on that for you uh just to get your thoughts and this isn't foreshadowing for what you just said for your next book or any different things but Where the hell is, like, Lupin? Like, isn't he supposed to be, like, a big, like, leader of these guys? Like, kind of like the Red Power Ranger or the Green Power Ranger or some shit? Like, he's not, like, the Albus Dumbledore. But now that Sirius is gone, you would have thought, like, he was, like, the right-hand man that stepped up a little bit. He's been in, like, every situation, never does shit. Like, dude, you were the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor that everyone knows that was the best professor that knew what he was doing. You still beat a Dementor's ass on the Hogwarts Express, but yet you can't take out some Death Eaters and just letting them kick your ass at every most notable important moment like you let them kick your ass your best friend gets knocked through the veil uh Dumbledore has to show up save your entire team's ass again and then on top of this finally Dumbledore is not even there so it's your chance to shine you and we'll get to whatever it is later you and uh the other head honcho right like to save these children and you can't even make it up a flight of spiral staircase like what the fuck is wrong with you like why did you even how did you get hired bro like how did you get hired please explain i don't understand but uh and then just on a side note this one was tough for me because uh even worse uh the two guys that are in i got well three guys that are in my top in this scene one never does shit so you couldn't say the situation the other one other one turns into a bad news bears turns a dirty hairy on the other one and then kills the other one off like what bad luck did i have in this book (laughs) like shit man (laughs) taking shots to the face well like yeah let me
0: continue on with my takeaways here because that kind of gets into that a little bit but another one too that this was really big because I remember I read past this and guys like it's very very easy to look past I forgot about it when Malfoy said he overheard her mining the library talking about how filch is unable to recognize potions and poisons I went back to the like I went back to the old chapter this is in chapter 15 the unbreakable vow page 307 the last three paragraphs is when they're in the the library and this I'll read it right for you it says. I look, Hermione sighed. Secrecy sensors detect jinxes, curses, and concealment charms, don't they? They're used to find dark magic and dark objects. They'd have to pick a powerful curse like the one on the necklace within seconds. But that's something that's just been put in the wrong bottle, talking about the love potions. Wouldn't register. And anyways, love potions aren't dark or dangerous. Easy for you to say, muttered Harry, think of Romilda Vane. So it would be down to Filch to realize that it wasn't a cough potion, and he's not a very good wizard. I doubt he could tell one potion from. Hermione stopped dead. Harry heard it too. Somebody moved close behind them among the dark bookshelves. They waited, and a moment later the vulture-like countenance of Madame Pince appeared around the corner, her sunken cheeks and skin like parchment, her long, hooked nose illuminated unflatteringly by the lamp she was carrying. So the way that it was written, it was almost meant to, like, Make you think that it was Madame Pince that was shuffling around the books, but in fact it was Malfoy. I didn't realize that the first time I read that. I caught it this time, like when when he said I heard them over talking of like talking about Filch not recognizing potions in the library. That was him ruffling around in the in the shelves. Like that's something that's very very easy to overlook if you're not paying attention. And and then just two more things that I had really big takeaways on. More question for the first one than anything is when Dumbledore said like. Voldemort can't kill you if you're already dead was he kind of like trying to enlist Draco in like a witness protection type of thing like because he said we'll hide you and we'll hide your mother and we'll hide your father or did he actually mean like we'll kill you but like you'll die a good person <laughs> like I like I know I, like I know what it was now but like I always wondered that that's a question I always had as a kid but like now reading it backwards obviously it was more the witness protection sort of thing but like I really thought like maybe he was like saying hey you can't die if you're already dead. Let us kill you and you guys die, good guys. Like I was like, I didn't really <laughs> think that you know Dumbledore wouldn't really do that. But anyways, that's, that's just something I thought was funny that I, as a kid I wondered about. But not so much now. And then the last thing is just the Death Eaters that came up behind Malfoy on the Ramparts. I wanted to go ahead and draw light to them. Because one wasn't uh, named. I had to do research and figure out who the fourth one was. Because it, it says the Brutal-Faced Man. So all the other ones were named. There was Amicus, Electo and Fenrir. Fenrir is the... Gravex the werewolf. Electo and Amicus are the brother and sister. And then the fourth one, his name... He was characterized as the brutal-faced man was Corbin Yaxley. That was the other Death Eater. I had to do some research on it. The fourth one was Corbin Yaxley. And it's not mentioned in the book, so... But anyways... The last thing that I'll say is, yeah... Now, as we're reading this for the first time, you're reading it, you're like, wow... Snape really pulled one over on everyone. He made everyone believe that he was a good guy and he just fucking took out the greatest good guy that we had left to defeat Voldemort. So now we're stuck with a fucking 16-year-old wizard trying to take out this all-powerful dark wizard because Dumbledore was the best hope that we had. Oh, it was almost like very similar to Dragon Ball Z when Goku was fighting Cell, and all of a sudden Goku's like, I can't beat you, so I'm going to have my son do it. Like <laughs> It's like, damn, no, what are you doing, man? You are our only hope. You are our chance, to Dumbledore. You're the only one that can take this guy on head-to-head. And then Snape was, like, playing, played old Vegeta role, playing, like, the fake villain, or the fake good guy, and he's (laughs) actually truly a villain, you know, like, and he ended up, he ended up killing him. So now, as we read it right here, Snape's a bad guy. He just killed Dumbledore. We're fucked. Like, the Order of the Phoenix got their asses kicked. Dumbledore's dead. We've got a bunch of children running the show now for the good guys. So that was my last takeaway of that chapter, man. So that's all I had to say on that.
1: Quick question. So... As far as Malfoy goes, do you think when he was sending the mead and stuff, how we just found out about this, the mead or the poison in the love potion, uh, the poison in the love potions, all that stuff, right? Do you think he... Well, the poison intentionally... wasn't in the love potion. The poison was in the mead. Okay. Well, that sorry. That's what I mean. I mean, the scene was about the love potion, but the mead when right. Ron drank yeah. it, you know, is poisoned. Yeah. And then as far as the locket and all this different stuff right my point is do you think he was going about it this way to really lead death eaters off because he really didn't want to kill dumbledore because we just heard what he was saying like remember he was like telling him he was basically crying like a little bitch even though he chose to get himself in this situation he was like, y- "Oh, do I don't think he me. chose to get
0: himself in that situation at all." I disagree with you wholeheartedly. I think Voldemort said, "You will do this, or I'll kill you right here and now." Like, I don't think there was much choice given from Voldemort to Draco. He's well. not like, "Hey, Draco, would you like to do this?" Yes, sir, I would. It was like, "Draco, I've got a <laughs> task for you. If you fuck up, I'm killing your ass. Like, and I'll kill your whole family too." <laughs> like, you know I mean, what I, I mean? I don't think there was that. much choice yeah. in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. But he could have chose to die. You gonna man. take that choice? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know <laughs> I mean a lot of people do apparently anyways but nah that that's, was kind of my question like do you think he was really like trying not to kill Dumbledore or just make it perceive to the rest of the group that he was trying to do this
0: No, nah, I think he really wanted to kill Dumbledore but I think he wanted to do it without having to resort to bringing the Death Eaters into the school I think he was hoping against hope that one of his Hail Marys was gonna work so that way like he could kill Dumbledore, Dumbledore, it would be undetected as to who did it, right? Because in, in Malfoy's mind, no one has suspected him other than Snape. But remember, Snape right. is working for Voldemort, right? So, like, Malfoy's not worried about what Snape thinks. Or, like, Snape yeah. t- giving him up or anything like that. So, I, I think he was trying to kill Dumbledore. I think he was trying to hope one of his Hail Marys works so he didn't have to bring Death Eaters into the school. Because I do think part of him was, like, remember when he said, like, I'm surprised that you brought Fenrir into this school, knowing that his friends live there, and he's like, I didn't know he was going to come. Like, I, I just right. think he yeah. for sure wanted to kill Dumbledore to save his own skin. I don't think that uh, there was any sort of thing where he wanted to spare Dumbledore and was using weak options to do it. I just think he was basically spraying and praying, man. Like, I'm hoping, I'm going to throw stuff against <laughs> the wall and I hope and one praying. of them sticks. <laughs> like, got, you know I what, what I mean? That. Like, I, I, I.
1: By the way, too, this is a big uh, moment in the book because you kind of, before any of the rest of the series was out, if you go back to Sorcerer's Stone, you know, Harry always had this like sense that Snape was bad. So this is that moment where you're like, wow, like what a full circle moment. He was right all the time. time." Yeah. Yep. So he was right. uh, He was
0: right from the very beginning. Everyone swore by Snape, and Harry's like, no. He's a bad guy. There's something weird about this guy and as of right now he's completely right. All his suspicions about Snape and what he tried to tell everybody from the very beginning and no one listened to Harry well Harry was right uh, like, as we stand here today. You know what I mean? So right. anyways let's go ahead and get yeah. into like some of the potential plot holes or discrepancies that we have came across. I was telling mm-hmm. you I didn't really find any ones that were clear cut to me that like were 100% I can back this up with a bunch of defenses on why it's a plot hole. I don't have any of those. I have like two questions i got like more questions than like i needed it to be dis- like, described to me more number one how is it when harry went to the cave with dumbledore remember harry is underage right and he's not in school right now he's outside of the school so the ministry of magic should be able to detect underage magic remember when harry was trying to fight those in fury off do we just kind of give him a pass like that because like Here's the thing. It's not like Dumbledore advised the Ministry, "Hey, I'm taking Harry on me for this mission." Because remember, the Ministry is trying to figure out what Dumbledore is doing, and Dumbledore is not letting them know what he's doing. You know, so like, like why is it that Harry is able to use these spells against these Inferi when he's underage with like no letters at all, like like nothing happened? That just we just gonna kind of fly past the underage magic? That was the first one. The second one. This is just a thought process. Like, I know you've got to write the book and make it interesting, but like. If we're able to put a full goblet of the drink in... Like, who's to say that you necessarily had to drink it? How didn't he just, like, scoop up the liquid and just pour it on the ground? Like, how are they – you know what I mean? Like, like I don't think – who would have known the difference? Like, why would – like, why did we just jump to the fact that, yep, I've got to ingest this, and Voldemort will know if I don't <laughs> ingest this? Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. I just figure, like, you know, you could probably scoop up that thing. Hey, now I've got it in my cup. Dump it over the side here. <laughs> like, you know, like, I don't understand. <laughs> and back I in don't... the lake.
1: <laughs> Let the inferior <Imperial> drink. <laughs> well, like,
0: like, sure, like yeah, I even, not, not even the lake. Just on, the, like, the island itself. So that way you don't disturb the water. Like, I just don't get why you – just decided, yep, yeah, we definitely, like, it was worth a try, right? Even if, like, even if, like, you dumped it out and all of a sudden it refilled back in the basin, well, at least you know. But there was like no attempt at all. It's just like, yep, yeah, gotta drink this and deal with the consequences, baby. I don't know, man. Those are <laughs> kind of like the two big questions I had. The other one was more, I kind of answered it myself. was like, how could Harry, Harry apparate for his first time without a license? Like, he didn't have a license. Like, he's not supposed to be doing this apparition. So, that on top of the uh, underage magic, he should have got another citation for attempting to apparate without a license. Like, that should have been a separate citation. <laughs> like, how did he get away with doing both those things without any sort of consequence? So, anyways, those are the things that I thought, like, could use some clarification. Not necessarily, like, flat-out plot holes, but those are my thoughts. Tell me what you think about them.
1: Uh, well, my big thought on that, remember when Dumbledore was referring to Tom Riddle, and he was talking about, uh, he he had mentioned you know why wasn't as far as like in the cave and that sort of thing why wasn't the ministry of magic alerted well I remember he said like a lot of times they can't track like the caster or whatever it was i can't remember the exact quote um right but- yeah
0: they, they don't they don't know like who's wand like committed it but they still know it yeah. happened and where the general area it happened is like you know like, they still yeah. are alerted when it happens
1: <laughs> like i mean i agree with that my kind of thought on that is like i mean it took dumbledore all year to find this cave like what are the odds they're gonna just like find it in that cave like tracking it well there's the trace
0: that's the i mean that's what the trace is for is to figure out where illegal magic has been performed like it's a whole system it's like having a gps on somebody you know what i mean i mean I get it,
1: but I feel like the minute they would walk in there, they'd be like, "Oh fuck this!" <laughs> like I'm not going right. in there. But I, well, that's
0: what I'm saying. I, I'm not. I'm not saying like I expected the Ministry to show up and hand the letter to Harry out the cave. I'm just saying like at <laughs> okay, some point yeah. someone like this should have this should have come I, back around yeah. like, "Hey, someone was using some uh, underage magic. Can we get like an explanation, please?" The Ministry didn't even ask for an explanation. Like me, like I would have been happy if <laughs> yeah, they, they, they like care. came to the school was like Harry. We saw someone use on un, like uh, underage magic. Was that you? And Harry's like, "Yeah, it was me." This is why. And the Ministry's like, "Okay, you're good." Like I'd have been happy with that, but can we get an explanation? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, we just yeah, we like just decided that it was not not. Yeah, it
1: just got yeah. blown under the table, <laughs> sucked under the rug. Over here, so. Shunov, Sectumsempra, and then uh, Impedimenta, he shouted out every damn curse that didn't matter. In the yeah. He went through the whole damn spell book. He went through uh, Miranda Shark <laughs> standard book of spells, grade one in that bitch, but couldn't get one that worked because he didn't pay attention for five minutes. Like, what is his deal, dude? Like, you're about to graduate. You got one year left about to graduate, and you can't pay attention to anything anyone important tells you. Uh, The other response to you as far as the goblet, (laughs) I can see. (laughs) I mean, that's worth a try. My kind of thought on that was if there was the invisible barrier is that unless, because remember in the book, of course, it's, I got some problems with the film, whatever. I'll let it pass. We'll get into that in a couple weeks. But i remember he conjured that goblet so my thought was yeah it was not some fucking it, sally
0: sells sea cells by the seashore that they did in the film i don't know what yeah, the hell that was
1: no <laughs> why <laughs> i don't know if they were going for this whole beach theme even though it was in a fucking cave <laughs> like you're the farthest thing from the damn beach <laughs> I've never, I've never, that's inception at its finest, if you ask me. Like, wow. You bought a nice beach retirement home and then you go in there and they sold you and they're like, well, it is on a beach. You're just in this cave and I wouldn't go in the water either. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, but my thought was like, because it had that invisible barrier, it wouldn't go anywhere else besides the goblet. Like, I imagined if, This is just me thinking. Like, there's no explanation on this. But if, like, he was on the ground or something, it just like would disappear and be back in the basin. But I don't know that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that was (laughs) worth a (laughs) try, though.
0: You know what I mean? Like, let's give it. Let's give it a college try. Let's just see what happens. Like, no, let's just go immediately and try to kill ourselves first. Okay. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I I did
1: like this. Like I said, like it. I did like how Dumbledore. Mention that to Harry, like just say Accio Horcrux to see if it'll pop up because it's kind of like I mean, I'm not a bank robber, but they say, like, what do you do if you're robbing a bank? What's the first thing you do? Check to see if it's open, (laughs) check to see if the safe is open. (laughs) But I mean, so I like that part. So I guess maybe that's where JK Rowling was thinking, well, we don't need to pour it on the ground but at the same time like you know these books are 600 pages like what's an extra line (laughs) Like, yeah so i get it 100 percent. yeah like i said i guess i can't say that
0: any complete concrete plot holes it's like they're both those things just could have used a little explanation in my in my mind but did you have any ones or do we jump into interesting facts now
1: um i mean i was the only plot hole i really have which is not really a big plot hole <laughs> like i mean i guess i can believe it i guess like how he used that spell to conjure the chains that was like under the lake but like how fucking far down deep did he have to go for those chains like it's like game of thrones style like those chains like how far down below was that accio horcrux doesn't pull anything up but all of a sudden some chains just pull up out of the great lakes with a fucking boat on it <laughs> like okay but i eh, even worse like i don't even know why you couldn't just apparate to the middle of the lake like if you're apparating now if we're apparating everywhere why can't you just apparate to the middle of the lake? I guess it doesn't really matter. I mean, I thought it was cool. It's kind of like the coin for the ferryman thing. Like everyone has to pay its dues. Like almost like um, Gandalf. Well, I, I think know, I have like an answer door. for that.
0: I think the answer to that is to apparate somewhere. I think you have to have been there before and like actually see that place in your head. I don't think you can just apparate to. Random places that you like don't exist, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, he like Goku Dumbledore <laughs> never went actually into the cave, that's why really they're able to operate to the outside of it because he didn't actually go inside it. So, I think, like, okay, you know, he like that, that's why that's my thought is that like, you have to see a place, like almost like instant transmission with Goku here. You gotta have been to a place already and see it clearly in your mind and then operate versus like I'm just gonna operate to Eiffel Tower that I've never seen, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I don't yeah. know. That's my thought, that's my answer, yeah.
1: But honestly, like, I didn't have any problem with it because I thought it was cool, like, kind of, like, uh, boat out of nowhere. I mean, it gave it that creepy vibe that I felt like it needed. But at the same time, like, I mean, I guess, like, he used the spell kind of to get the chain out of there. In the film, that's a whole other story. We'll get into that in a couple weeks. He, like, he's old as shit, but yet he can, like, pull out a hundred-pound chain out of there <laughs> by himself in the ocean. Like, I don't know but i was i was okay with it like honestly like uh i was really impressed with this book i gotta be honest like up to this point I mean, it's not over yet but uh this book was really hard to find plot holes like there wasn't anything major that i found that i was just like i can't ignore this so yeah and uh, with that i'll turn it back over to you you want to get us kicked off with the interesting facts uh, yeah, man.
0: I, honestly, I think that you should start us with the interesting facts since we're kind of talking about inside the cave right now. We're talking about that. Just talk a little bit about what your interesting fact was, and then i'll I'll close it out on mine, and then we'll we'll wait until next week to get into the ending of this bad boy.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, um, mine wasn't uh, wasn't too large. We've talked about um, Firestorm just a little bit on the interesting facts in the bonus episode, so that's why I didn't go into that too much. And we'll talk about that and the interesting facts coming up. But um, this one, what it was, so this is pretty cool. So we were talking about, you know, the Inferi are uh, basically like puppets, like necromanced bodies. Like they're not actual living things. Well, what they used to be. So they were actual, how they got down there. They were members that, of people that Voldemort actually murdered, that they tossed into the lake. Or... Uh, They were actually killed in the first wizarding war, and there were bodies uh, from Voldemort's victims that were down in the lake. And, uh, of course, they're being necromanced because of the dark magic with the puppeteering um, because they're not actual living things that we've talked about before. So I just thought that was pretty cool that, you know, they didn't just appear down there and, you know, live there like dementors live in a fungi. They actually got down there somehow. So that was pretty cool. And uh, with that alternative, you, you got a pretty awesome one today, man. You got a good one. Yeah,
0: um, mine's the Drink of Despair, like the actual drink itself that Dumbledore drank that we just talked about, like how come we couldn't just pour it on the ground? Well, talking about the Drink of Despair, it's a mysterious potion which induces fear, delirium, and extreme thirst. It cannot be penetrated by hand, vanquished, parted, scooped up, siphoned away, transfigured, charmed, or made to change its nature in any way. It can only be drained away by drinking. In spite of all this... The potion can be magically refilled by a skill spellcaster. So it can be refilled, but it can't be taken away, which is interesting. interesting. But anyways, this potion is used to protect the locket, which is one of uh, Lord Voldemort's horcruxes within the cave. Uh, what it was meant to do is provide a powerful defense as one person cannot drink the entire content without collapsing from the terrible effects, and would require a second person to force-feed the potion, which Voldemort considered impossible due the enchantment's the, the the enchanted boat designed to carry only one adult wizard, right? So, anyways, a little bit of backstory here. Voldemort decided to use the cave as a location to guard his lock of Horcrux. He brewed the potion himself and placed it on the island in the middle of the subterranean lake. The potion was placed in a basin, and the lock of, the locket Horcrux was put underneath. And the potion was designed to mentally torture the drinker and give him or her intense stomach pains and make him or her dehydrated. It also rendered the drinker unable to drink any water that was conjured magically. This then, thus then forced the drinker to drink the water from the lake, which of course brought the Inferi out from everyone. There's another part of this I can't say yet because we haven't gotten to it. We'll get to it in hells, But there was a second person who uh, was at that cave as well that needed to get rid of that potion. And I will leave that where it is for now. But um, anyways, that's a little bit about that. And also... The description is, it's an emerald green color with, and it glows phosphorescently. As such, a green glow can be seen from the basin on the island in the middle of the lake at the very far end of the cave. So even though Dumbledore said he cannot change its nature, he, uh, Lord Voldemort itself, himself actually turned the potion crystal clear to check the locket. That's not anything that you need to know about anyways. That's just how, when he was able to go back from time to time, he could see if it was still there. So he can change it to, uh, even though he can't change the potion itself, he can, in fact make it like so it's it's uh clear like water so you can see what's at the bottom of it to make sure it's still there so anyways that's a little bit about the drink of despair that's my interesting fact for today and that's pretty much where we left off man so do you have any last words to say before we sign off and uh tell them see you next week or what
1: yeah man uh no i was just gonna say i mean um just the ride is great uh this one hurt a little bit <laughs> doing this episode i think it kind of everyone that's uh listened to this episode with us today you guys know this one uh this one hits home for all of us i would say just like um you know when we were at the climax of order of the phoenix like it's these episodes here that resonate with us um and this is the empire strikes back of harry potter like this is the empire strikes back (laughs) right here And, uh, yeah, just once again, you know, guys, it really means a lot. you always leaving us a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a comment. Uh, You know, we're always on Podbean, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Really, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. Amazon Music now. We got a lot of listeners there, so that's pretty cool. Um, And follow us on Instagram. You know, you can follow myself. At rbrow 9129 RBROW129. Uh, and then Jay Nelly at his personal account. Or you can follow us over at Official Ridiculous Patronus. Or you can follow us on Facebook at Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. Um, yeah, but uh, just the ride is great. And uh, we still got one more left for you guys uh, for the Empire Strikes DAC of the seven book, probably greatest fantasy book franchise. Uh, I'm willing to say one of the greatest, that's for sure. One of the greatest. We'll do another awesome one next season. <laughs> hint, hint. Um, but hint. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to you, Jay Nelly, uh, for just some uh, final words, and close us out here and sign us off. You got it,
0: man. I will say, like you said, that's the Empire Strikes Back of Harry Potter, so I feel like it would be remiss if we didn't put our wands in the air for Dumbledore, who took that fall off the Astronomy Tower, so you guys are watching on youtube you see chase and i've got our wands in the air and i've actually got dumbledore's actual wand this is the the one the that he uses in the movies i won't give anything away about that because that wand's important next book but anyways regardless I ironically also won- i
1: got the death eater so of course on the bad guy <laughs> of I got course the snake on the end
0: with the dark mark <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> uh, in any event though yes that that will take us through uh, the end of uh, chapter twenty-seven next week. We actually have two more weeks of this. The next one is the finishing of the book, and then the following is the differences uh, between the novel and the film. So you still got us for two more weeks discussing the Half Blood Prince, but that's all you get this week because you know this one has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy, signing, signing off. off.